You're listening to the audio-only version of the Moe Gamer podcast. Don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on YouTube. Check moegamer.net for a link to the channel. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to the Moe Gamer podcast. I'm Pete Davison from moegamer.net and I'm joined by my good friend Chris Kasky as usual. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing well, Pete. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. It's been uh, kind of a crazy week. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, followed some of the stuff that's been happening, but uh, apparently, yeah. apparently, we shouldn't be rude to people is uh, the most controversial take of 2019. You're blowing up, brother. You're blowing up. <laughs> actually, actually, no, that's not, that's not true because it hasn't been a controversial take. I've had um, two negative comments on that article. Uh, one was from the the writer of the piece that I was responding to, who claimed it put him at a loss. Um, and two was from a four follower no avatar account on Twitter who I suspect is someone who's been stalking me for about two years and likes to bitch about me behind my back oh. um, so yeah I told him to go fuck himself the other day basically so that's uh, that's that <laughs> but yeah there's, uh, there's been literally thousands of people agreeing me which I, I won't lie is a lovely feeling Ah, <laughs> uh, but anyway Anyway, it's it's nice to see people wanting to see a bit more positivity. Anyway, um, yeah, super important. Sort of sort of pushing pushing back against some of the stuff we've been seeing from uh, some of the mainstream sites a bit recently. I mean, I, I I don't I don't like to harp on it too much, but when stuff comes out that is just not not paying any attention to the game and is more interested in sort of insulting the people who might be into something, I I I, I get pissed off. It's it's not on. And it's not constructive. It's not a constructive way to discuss any medium. Game, no, games, abso- absolutely. music, film. There, there's no reason for it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so I, I'm glad that discussions happened, and I'm glad it's sort of been so widespread um, and has sort of spread beyond what I've been doing as well. So, that's good. But anyway, so um, in today's episode, um, there's been quite a lot of sort of happening recently what with uh things like the nintendo direct from a few weeks back and tgs and various other things so we thought rather than having our usual topic based discussion today we'd probably have a um a sort of news centric show a bit like we did around e3 so i think what we'll do is we'll invert the usual format so if we go for our first part we'll talk about what we've been playing recently and then our second part we can just delve into as much news as we feel like talking about that sound good sounds good to me all right brilliant so what you been up to lately then uh, well, I have started my file in uh, Tokyo RPG Factory's Onanaki. Oh, yes. How is it? Uh, it's really neat. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I've only maybe played it for maybe two, three hours, just kind of getting a feel for, you know, getting the tutorial stuff out of the way. But it's it's mm-hmm. been a really cool game. Um, yeah. You know, I know something we've talked about on uh, in regards to other games in the past, especially action-focused games, is how very attracted i am to games with a strong sense of like rhythmic timing and like really good noticeable hit stun yes so um uh, onanaki is an action rpg with an overhead perspective very much in you know in the vein of east or secret of mana or any Mm -hmm. of those kind of games but um it definitely hews closer to the secret of mana side of things than the east side of things you you really cannot button mash your way through combat it's right. not it's not fluid. So your attacks land with a very specific timing and there's considerable pause when they hit. Um right. so a lot of the flow of the combat is based around these um these 
demons you collect, which are these like un like lost undead spirits that have different uh, like weapon styles they use, which governs the way you fight, and um, they learn abilities um, which are mapped to one of your buttons, um, and they'll be like like the first one you get is just like a classic like sword fighter, like fast sword fighter, and um, she can learn an ability that gives you a back step. Or she can like, right. give you an ability that like, makes you like dash through enemies. So there's a lot of really conscientious um, effort to have you think about the flow of combat and to ha- kind of have you build combos in a way or kind of uh, plan your combat around the abilities of these characters specifically. It's like the, the abilities aren't just like, you know, sometimes in an action game you get abilities um, and they're really just like... Every couple seconds when the ability recharges, you can do an additional splash of damage. But right, the, yeah. the, the abilities in this game actually are kind of affecting the way you think about the combat. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a rhythmic element to it that almost makes it feel a little bit turn-based because you have to watch your enemies' attacks very carefully because it's very easy to get caught in an animation to the point where yeah. one of the abilities or perks you can unlock uh, allows you to out cancel on animations which is a very okay. much like, almost like a fighting game mentality yeah um so the the combat is very thoughtful in this game mm-hmm. which i'm really appreciating a lot so do those do those demon characters do they fight alongside you or are they basically sort of um are they are they, are they a bit more like equipment or yeah they're a lot they... like equipment so think of it like persona right so like they're they just like are hovering behind you and they like dic- okay. they dictate how you fight Right. But they have... Yeah. But each one of them has their own skill tree. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of developing them like characters, but because it's just an action RPG where you just control the one guy, mm-hmm. what they, they affect his combat and his abilities. Right. Some, okay. Yeah. Is that... Because I was, I was almost getting a sort of slight um, Knights of Azure vibe from some of the things you were saying. That's not quite the same because you do have a bit more control over the characters you have alongside you in that. And right. They, they they do fight independently, and you can trigger their skills and stuff. But um, yeah, no, that that sounds interesting as well. And I, I guess there's a lot of customization in there with that as well. Yeah, I was really surprised, even just in the first hour, how much um, you know the the potential of it revealed itself to me rather quickly because they said like mm-hmm. here here's your demon. She's got her own skill tree, um, and you also like weapons. You know, you're collecting weapons and items. Um, I'm pretty sure each demon you get actually changes the gameplay, right? So, like, later you get yeah. a, a spear demon, and then that's what allows you to use spears. Okay. And because and, uh, a lot of the advertising campaigns early in the game were there was just a trailer for each of the demons. Like, that's yeah. how they were advertising the game. Um, and so it was like, like there's, a, there's one that uses a scythe. There's one that, like I said, the initial one, you get just, like, the classic, like, heart, like, katana, basically. Um mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to kind of exploring the way that the these different weapon setups alter the combat and the flow of the combat. Um, it, it feels very old school in a, in a really positive way because the, the design feels extremely thoughtful. Mm. 
Yeah, and that's cool. I, I, I like sort of action RPGs that have a slightly slower pace like that and where all the weapons feel very different as well. Um, one yeah. good one good example that I remember playing from a while back was uh, The Witch and a Hundred Knight was very good for that. Yes. So the different weapons in that, they all handled very, very differently. And then it being a Nipponichi game, there were also hundreds and hundreds of weapons with lots of different attributes and customization and fusing things together and all that sort of thing. So... You had that side of things as well. Um, That's a really good game. Yeah, it's a fantastic game. Fantastic game. Didn't get nearly the love it deserved. But did you uh, ever play the well. second one? I never got I around to yet. checking the second one out. It it is on my shelf, and I do want to cover it at some point. And I do actually kind of want to revisit the first one at some point as well because I picked up the PS4 version of it. Yeah, me I've too. I've only played the PS3 version up until recently. So, yeah, I do want to revisit those at some point because those those are yeah. They, well, the first one anyway, definitely was a really really good game and really really interesting narratively as well i i wrote an article sort of towards the beginning of murray gamer's life about how it's one of the few games that i've played where the narrative actually genuinely follows a classical tragedy structure yeah we've talked about that many times yeah and a, a lot of reviewers at the time that came out they completely missed that fact and they were just like oh the main character is obnoxious Two out of five. <laughs> yeah, it's like you can clearly tell when you back in the day when Witch and the Hundred Knight first came out, you could clearly tell which of the people reviewing it actually had some kind of classical education in like literature and theater, yeah. and, who, and who didn't. Like you could like yeah. there were reviews out there that just screamed, "I've never read a book that wasn't George, written by George R. R. Martin," and, 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 and then you could you could tell which ones actually were like written by people who understand the tragic narrative structure. It was, yeah. re- it was really interesting. Yeah. No, I, I found that a- a- utterly fascinating that, um, that, I mean, they completely inverted the usual ending structure as well. Like, the bad ending was the one that took all the effort to get, and it was the one that gave you the most satisfying narrative payoff, and that sort of thing. That's like, there was so much you had to do. Sorry, there's a helicopter going over. Sorry if you can hear that. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, fascinating stuff, and uh, yeah, I do, I do, I do want to take a look at the second one at some point. So that that will happen at some point. But uh, as I think I've said on my Patreon blog before, I, I calculated all the ones I definitely, all the games I definitely want to do in-depth features on. I've got enough stuff for at least eight years of content on the website that's, at this point. That's insane. <laughs> I know I've I've bought enough games for eight years worth of gameplay in the past yeah. month. So yeah so it will happen at some point i just can't promise when <laughs> yeah fair enough well that's one of the joys of having a blog that's not centrated around what's new yes right? yes absolutely absolutely cool um so we got slightly off topic there but is there anything else you've been exploring recently uh yeah i i finally got my hands on the messenger oh yeah yeah which is uh, just a ton of fun um yeah. So, uh, uh, I mean, obviously the Messenger's been out for a while, but I had pre-ordered in for the um, Special Reserve Games physical pressing of it. Um, yeah. Which came in a beautiful box that had... Um, you know, sometimes there's that really, like... I don't know how to describe it. It's just that, like, premium cardboard where it has almost that, like, rubberized, textured feel on it. Yes. A, a, bit, like the ones that, a bit like the ones that NIS America do, maybe? Maybe. I, I don't think I've ever bought one of NIS America's limited editions, honestly. Mm. But yeah. uh, it, it was just beautiful. And it came with a, with a, with a nice... Um, I guess if you pre-ordered it, you got this special edition at no extra cost. And it comes with a little hardcover print of the instruction manual. So there's a nice instruction manual with some cool art in the case. 
and oh, in nice. the, and in the special like the 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 you pre-ordered it good job edition comes with a hardcover of that same instruction manual like packed in like a premium box so it was a beautiful presentation um oh, that's cool and it's just uh it's just every ninja game you imagine you loved on like the Nintendo from back in the day, like mashed up into like one like glorious tribute, essentially. Yes. So it's yes. it's Ninja Gaiden, it's Shadow of the Ninja, it's Wrath of the Black Manta. It's just all <laughs> it's all of the ninja like love you could possibly you know, and like cliched stages like now you're in the cave, now you're in the bamboo forest. But it's just so well made and so understanding deeply about what made those games special in the first place yeah it just feels right and it's um you know as is often the case with these kind of modern 8-bit games there's just something so glorious about playing something that really does a good job of recreating the 8-bit classics but on a 16 by 9 aspect ratio Yes, yes, it's lovely. It's just Absolutely it's just lovely. more screen real estate of this beautiful mm-hmm. of this beautiful pixel art. And so I'm just really enjoying it. Um, the big mechanical wrinkle in it um, that's kind of new is you do this thing called cloud stepping. So right. um, you know like in Ninja Gaiden there would be the like the lanterns or whatever that you would hit and those would drop power-ups or or, or ammo for your special yeah. moves or whatever. So those exist too in um, Messenger. But if you hit jump and attack at the same time when you attack them, um, you do a second jump off of them. Right. So, so essentially there's a double jump, but you need something. It's a realistic double jump because you actually need a physical object to, to jump off of right. to do it. Um, so then the game also has like a skill tree, like a really RPG light skill tree that you unlock with the currency you find. And uh, one of the earliest things you can unlock for that is the ability to do that cloud step off of enemy projectiles. Oh, cool. So then that throws a whole new wrinkle into it because there's secrets hidden in the stages and stuff, but you really need to maximize your ability to notice that there's a there's a turret enemy over there, and then you notice that right above it in a place that you could never reach with your regular jump is a destructible wall that's likely going to lead to a secret, so you have to remember not to kill that enemy and just let him pump out his cannon fire so you can cloud step off of those projectiles to reach that secret. So mm-hmm. it's one of those games, almost like the old like Donkey Kong Country. Like You can play through the stages, but there's so many secrets to keep an eye on for that like just playing right. through it doesn't really mean you've seen everything the game has to see yeah i'm also not a hundred percent sure but i think it's one of those games that you essentially have to play through twice um right i have been kind of not reading a ton of news or reviews of it because i just knew i would like it in the first place but i bought the soundtrack and the soundtrack comes in two parts a present and a future. Yeah, I was uh, I was just going to um, just going to mention that actually. I, I have a vague memory of reading something about this about it sort of shifting between graphical styles. Is is that the what the one I'm thinking of, or am I mixing it up with someone else? Yeah, I don't know about that, but but I do know that every single stage has a future version soundtrack on the soundtrack. So I think you have to go back through the stages later, and in like a ruined future kind of thing. Yes, this this was the one I was thinking of. Um, it when you go to the future stage, it becomes a sixteen bit game. Oh, does it really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, didn't that even, st- I didn't even know that. 
yeah that was it well, sorry if that's a spoiler but um yeah that that was that's the that was sort of the big wrinkle that everyone reported on when it was first announced it was like yeah you can play through all this in 8-bit and then it goes 16-bit and the 16-bit stages look beautiful oh, <laughs> oh i thought this so game look, was incredible enough yeah so look forward to that it's a it's a real good time and I'm I'm really impressed by the size and scale of the stages. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's another thing that like these modern 16-bit games can do. It's just more. They can do more. So yeah. the, the stages are just long and big and full of challenges. And um, mechanically, it's always throwing new things at you. So yeah. you know, unlike the old 8-bit games where it's just kind of like your your ability set is telegraphed to you right from the beginning. But like I said, there's a skill tree, but also just other abilities. So like I'm on like the fourth or fifth level maybe, and then they just threw like a flying a flying squirrel style glider suit at me that I can use <laughs> to like catch up drafts with and stuff. Yeah. And so that totally changes everything because as soon as I got that, I started remembering um, gaps that were too big for me to cross with clear secrets on the other side. That if I could have only glided for a little bit after the jump, I would have had. So now you know, I want to go back and replay the early stages with that glider suit. So it's kind of cool that mm-hmm. it's throwing that stuff at me. It's all these modern ways of kind of extending the gameplay. And I'm really appreciating it. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that sounds great. I've um, I've sort of seen a, a few of my friends... Um on on social media and so on have, have obviously picked this up recently i think they may have, have got the the special reserve games version as well um because mm-hmm. they've sort of just started playing it and i've seen this few screenshots and it, yeah it looks looks absolutely lovely so i have to give that a go at some point yeah it's very much worth it cool all right so some good stuff there is that everything you've been playing lately yeah i think so i mean i did i did start up demon x machina as well but haven't had uh-huh. nearly as much time to dive into it so i wouldn't be comfortable <laughs> talking about it with much detail yeah, I, I, I'm trying not even to think about that in Astral Chain at the minute, because I, I know those two are probably going to be readily available for quite a while, so I, I haven't sort of prioritized those at all. I do really want to play them both, especially Astral Chain, which people seem to have been absolutely loving. But uh, mm, Yes, it's very good. But yeah. once again, like played it for like an hour, and then I was like, <laughs> oh, I have so many other things to play. Like I just kind of booted it up to get a sense of the mechanics, yeah. but it's glorious. I mean, it's platinum, surprise, surprise, but it is glorious. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I say that. I, I, I say, oh, I don't want to play it just yet. What have I been playing? I've been playing Super Metroid. <laughs> yes, I'm so happy you're finally playing Super Metroid. Oh, it's good. It's very good. Very good. To play Super Metroid for the first time in my 30s would probably be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Um, yeah, I'm very impressed by a lot of it lots lots and lots of different aspects of it really i mean just the the atmosphere of it and thinking about how revolutionary this sort of game design would have been back when it originally came out um how weird it is to see it call itself metroid 3 on the title screen (laughs) yes yeah um but yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 really cool. Um, I am I'm particularly enamored by the fact that uh, it it is obviously Nintendo deciding to make something a bit more grown up, but not making mm-hmm. a big deal of it. So like they're not making it super gory or super like over the top or anything. It it, it is just a game that it feels noticeably more grown up. It is it is a game that sort of respects the player and expects them to work a lot of things out for themselves um make 
interpretations of the things that they're seeing rather than beating them over the head with explanations and tutorials and narrative things and that sort of thing that, that applies for both both mechanics and story and metroid is is very nah. subtly handled um and, and it's like this is nintendo doing this yeah like can you can you imagine right now nintendo just like we're gonna make a subtle game that telegraphs things to players with visual cues and <laughs> doesn't beat them over the head by explaining everything <laughs> but yeah yeah stuff like um i mean sort of probably the most notorious examples of this in super metroid are the the bits that teach you how to do the uh the wall jump and shine spark yeah. bits I was just going to say that that's like the iconic like when we talk about Super Metroid as a game of exceptional design it's always the wall jump scene yeah. where like those little ferrets or whatever are just doing it and you're like oh shit can I do that yeah. what's up you can you can yeah but the there's there's lots of even more subtle cues than that as well it's not just some some little dudes running around and jumping off the thing when they squeak at you to begin with the pattern of pitches of the squeaks they do is the same as the item pickup noise and so it's oh it, shit i and, never noticed that yeah and, and so it's and so it's like i recognize that tune what oh right it's the thing you get when you get a new ability maybe i should try doing this but yeah yeah just little subtle things like that and sort of the weird ostrich thing that does the shine spark jump as well and yeah it's it's just impeccably designed i mean i don't love the wall jump controls um because they are a bit tricky to pull off um especially when compared to sort of even some more modern nintendo games that have had wall jumps in them like the mario games have sort of really mastered wall jumps at this point um but once once you nail it and get the rhythm for it it's very satisfying and um just the overall structure of metro there's always a feeling that you are progressing even if you're backtracking through areas there's always a feeling that oh right okay i've i got that new thing on my last visit to north air or whatever maybe i can now get through this wall down here or maybe i can now get to that bit of the map that i haven't been able to explore yet and so this it's just this really nice sense of discovery at all times even if you're running back through the same areas and it really emphasizes that with the fact that there's no fast travel as well so like you you have mm-hmm. to do that backtracking but in doing that it encourages you to make use of your new abilities and explore them and see if they can affect areas that you might have taken for granted before mm-hmm. um and yeah just just sort of the the pace and the order at which the new abilities are incorporated that sort of gradually increase your mobility and your your offensive and defensive power and so on yeah it is a wonderful piece of game design that i'm very much enjoying at the moment and being quite genuinely creeped out by in uh, <laughs> various parts as well oh yeah 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 i know we discussed it earlier in the week but there's a there are moments of like genuine fear and terror in, in super metroid i mean metroid in general the the fear of isolation yeah. in this kind of oppressive alien atmosphere has always been like core to metroid's overall design yeah um because it was very inspired by alien in yeah. the first place but um, really, it, it takes center stage in Super Metroid. Just some of the imagery and some of the oppressive situations you get put in. Yeah. It's quite scary. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And sort of the, the the soundtrack as well. Again, that's a very big contrast from what Nintendo normally do. Nintendo music is typically very tuneful, inspired by popular music, making use of melodic and rhythmic hooks and so on. Whereas Super Metroid is sort of more akin to what we expect from slightly later horror games um mm-hmm. particularly on sort of ps1 and ps2 and so on you've got this sort of 
almost kind of sort of throbbing soundtrack in the background that's that's very much yeah. ambient it's not tuneful it's not a tune you can hum but it's memorable it gets stuck in your head um and it, it really sort of evokes those feelings of of isolation and not being sure what's around the next corner and that sort of thing yeah it's absolutely wonderful um there is that one area though in super metroid that has that amazing tune that amazing like track it's like super catchy uh <laughs> it's like the it's like the one forest area and it's like these tribal drums like dun 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 yes, dun, 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 yes. Dun. like that that that's like oh always stuck in my head yeah i can't rem- i can't remember which area that is but it's the best yeah yeah the over i think the vegetation area in brinstar I yes yes i think I, I know the one you mean yeah yeah it is yeah that's the one yeah it's it's got it's got a very very sort of distinctive feel to that soundtrack as well it actually reminds me quite a bit of um the sort of amiga soundtracks in some places just with the sort of instrumentation and the sounds that are used um which is i mean that's not really relevant to anything but it, it, it sort of evokes a certain kind of, of of nostalgia for me in that way as well which is which is very nice but uh yeah yeah you're right sort of playing this game for the first time at the age of 38 is uh quite quite the right <laughs> um, yeah, and like knowing what you know about game design yeah right it's such a so this was kenji yamamoto did the soundtrack mm-hmm. um who has also been involved in a lot of the Rhythm Heaven games. Oh, okay, yeah. Which should surprise no one. And other Metroid games. So he did Samus Returns. Um, oh, Breath of the Wild. He worked on Breath of the Wild. Oh, okay, cool. A sound, sound support as a supervisor. Not too much actual composition credits after the 90s, though. Yeah. Um, he contributed to Metroid Prime. Yeah, it's just all like Metroid. Yeah. He's the, the, the Metroid guy. Zero Mission, Prime 2, even the pinball game. Oh, God. Uh, I've forgotten that existed. <laughs> Metroid Prime 3, Excite Truck and Excite Bikes. Oh, I right. Mean, Excite Truck and Excite Bots, the spinoff. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, n- interestingly enough, not a huge not a huge catalog of stuff he's worked on outside of like metroid that's mm-hmm. super recognizable yeah but he just seems to be like the metroid guy well that's cool he does an amazing job so <laughs> yeah so yeah i've been e- enjoying that a whole bunch um i will have more to say when i've finished it probably so i i will uh, i will do an article on that when i've when i've beaten it um Ugh. no idea how far through i am at the minute um or how long it takes or anything I'm, I'm definitely not going to get a good ending or anything like that but you know it's my first time so can't be some you never slack. get good endings on, ga- <laughs> on games when the ending is predicated on speed i'm almost offended by it because like <laughs> my 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 entire methodology for games is to savor them oh yeah yeah absolutely absolutely but, uh, so it's so, like i hate how many like love way forward as much as i do i hate how many like speed run related trophies there are on the shantae games because like, mm-hmm. i'm never going to platinum them because of it yeah yeah no I, I i'm the same way like even if i've played a game before i i tend to explore it very methodically and sort of in metroid i'm like bombing all the walls and using super bombs to see if that anything sort of blows up or if there's anything hidden in the ceiling and so it, it hides some stuff in some really fucking devious places that game mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah well um, it's the best. It's the best of the best when it comes to this genre. Yeah. Right. This is Metroid. Super Metroid is like the instruction manual for yeah. this genre. Yeah. Like, of course, we had games in the 8 bit era, but like when we really talk about open ended 2D platformers, we like Super Metroid established what is best. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's it, it's very interesting to sort of contrast it with um, Symphony of the Night as well, which I did play back when it was current. And sort mm-hmm. of those two sort of being regarded as sort of the ones that established and, and codified this whole style of gameplay. Yeah, it's very interesting to sort of compare and contrast because they are quite different experiences. Yes, tremendously. Mm. And I, I think part of the part of that difference for me is that um, uh, Metroid, and, and this is very much classic Nintendo, right? So Super Metroid is just such a purely distilled gameplay experience. Yes, right. There, we were just discussing those those intuitive tutorial moments with the different abilities like there's no there's not even spoken word in in metroid except for those couple like sound bits yes yeah right? like the last metroid has been destroyed or what like whatever <laughs> but like but um there's no dialogue boxes yeah there's there's nothing whereas um the the wrinkle of soup uh, the the wrinkle of symphony of the night was of course introducing uh, obtuse complicated rpg elements yes to that formula so like you have one game that's entire design and innovation was to obfuscate gameplay with other mechanics whereas metroid tried to be such a pure distillation of the experience of isolated exploration through mechanics alone yeah yeah which is classic nintendo really like Mm -hmm. that's what they do right they make toys yeah They, they make intuitive experiences yeah absolutely i mean sort of while playing super metroid um i i've sort of been thinking right i'm exploring this place i mean i know how i have a grand goal but like my only real sort of motivation to explore at the moment in in sort of vaguely narrative terms is because it's there which is yes sort of a, a very key part of super metro whereas in symphony of the night there's always a sort of feeling that you need to go to this place for a particular reason like there's been a, there's been a cutscene or a bit of dialogue that should sort of pushes you in a particular direction. I mean, it's still reasonably subtle in Symphony of the Night. There is still a lot of open ended exploration in that, but mm. yeah, Metroid kind of pairs that back completely. So so that the whole experience is just you sort of thinking, okay, so I've got a map. There's some holes in it. I should go and try and fill those holes. And that 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 is your entire motivation for in Super Metroid, which is great. I love it. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting because, you know, we're talking about that in terms of Super Metroid, which came out in the 90s. Yeah. And um, that entire philosophy of design has followed Nintendo to the modern day. Mm, yeah. Like, if you if you read interviews um, from a couple years ago about the core design philosophy between behind Breath of the Wild. Yes. Which yes. is one of the most impeccably designed games in, in a very similar vein in the past decade. Yes. Um, the... One of the core design philosophies of Breath of the Wild was to create a world and, and, a, and a series of interlocking systems that encouraged the player to want to play and want to explore, not simply because they had objectives to achieve, yes. but because it was inherently satisfying to explore that world, to see something on the horizon and want to go there. Yes. And it's crazy that Super Metroid was doing that 20 years ago. Yeah, I know. It's bonkers, isn't it? But uh, yeah, it's it's incredible how this this game sort of almost more than any of Nintendo's other games has remained completely relevant to this day. And there is yeah, still it's evergreen. There is still a lot of a lot of stuff that modern developers could learn from this one. I think so. Play Super Metroid. Don't wait like I did. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's it really it really is the Bible yeah. for for this entire genre. Cool. All right. Um, only other thing I've been playing is uh, Senran Kagura Burst Renewal, which I have been enjoying a great deal and might 
in certainly in mechanical terms, definitely, I think is my favourite Senran Kagura today of of the beat 'em ups. Definitely, mm. um, it's just um, I kind of I don't know, not so much recently, but but sort of early on, I I kind of got a bit into the mindset that the the beat 'em ups in the series were very similar, but sort of looking back on them now, they've each sort of had their own focus and their own feel to them. So sort of. Obviously, the difference between the original burst, which was a sort of two and a half D side scroller, rather than w what we've had for the more recent ones, is is a big difference. But mm -hmm. even between like um, Shinobi versus and Estival versus, there's there's a difference there, particularly with how um, sort of the, the fights between the main characters are handled. Like Estival versus felt a lot more like a fighting game almost in that it was quite difficult to approach characters and you had to really sort of think about strategy very much like you'd have to do in a fighting game um and then burst renewal um is it kind of takes a lot of the good things from estival versus uh but then it adds some really nice additional mechanics and presentational features onto the mix that just make it a lot smoother and slicker to play like the biggest addition to the whole formula is the uh, attack telegraphs that all the enemies do oh that makes things totally different yeah so so these are and it's i mean the previous games have had sort of attack telegraphs so they, they would do a thing like um I think Bayonetta does it as well, where like before a, a enemy strikes, they will sort of their weapon will sort of glow very slightly, and they might make a slight noise. Mm -hmm. So the previous games had that, which is fine. But in in Burst Renewal, what they've got is they've they've sort of um, taken a similar approach to games like Final Fantasy XIV and Knights of Azure, which is to have actual visible telegraphs of the area that is going to be affected by the attack that's about to happen. Oh, I like that. Um, and so. At that point, you can make a choice. You can decide whether you're just going to dodge out of the way, which is probably the easiest thing to do. Um, but that will then cause you to break your combo, which means you won't level up as quickly and so on. Um, or you can sort of stand your ground and decide if you're going to try and block it or parry it as well. Um, now, blocking and parrying is not something I've really done a lot of in, in this kind of game generally, uh, but especially in the previous Senran Kagura games. But in Burst Renewal, I'm parrying all the time, and it is so satisfying mm. because... Just the combination of the telegraph and the the visible and audible cues you get, it, it, it makes it so intuitive to recognise these attack patterns and be able to actually counter them. It's yeah, it really really affects the combat in a very positive way. And because in um, burst renewal, when you parry an attack, you both stun the enemy that you parried, and you immediately gain. Um, a level on your special move meter it means that you can then counter attack with one of your most spectacular attacks as well which is very very cool when you're fighting one of the one of the boss characters um, and so it, ma it makes all the fights a lot more dynamic and they're very energetic and because this game was designed specifically for PS4 and didn't have to worry about the Vita's limitations there's a lot more sort of really nice stylized effects in there as well so sort of like when you're attacking um, the sort of the sort of swooshes and slashes and that sort of thing. They've all got a very sort of um, almost like a brush stroke feel to them, like a sumie type thing going on. Um, and and so it, it sort of gives it this really nice stylized look that's kind of akin to sort of um, almost like sort of shonen and fighting anime and stuff. Like mm -hmm. I've I finished the Hanzo arc so far, and like the the final battle between Asuka and Homura in that is absolutely spectacular. 
Um, just because it's it's like them both in their powered up forms, and so their weapons are Homer's is growing red and Attica's is glowing green, and so like the whole screen is just this chaotic mess of coloured energy flying everywhere and clashing together. But because of the additional feedback you're getting on screen as well, it, you also feel completely in control of it as well. So you, you it is a, a fight that is spectacular to watch, but it's not just one where you're mashing buttons and hoping for the best as well. So like you're still parrying, you're still doing your special moves and all that sort of thing. So yeah, it's 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 really good, really good. I've been enjoying that a lot, and it's also very interesting to return to the beginning of this series story as well. Um, because sort of the the later installments, um, I, I I really like the feeling of the ensemble cast and them all being friends and that sort of thing. Um, but it's easy to forget that sort of this first installment was incredibly dark. It was incredibly dark and tragic at times um, because it, it it sort of um, explores the origins of all of the characters and every one of these characters has had something happen in their past that is significant or tragic that has helped make them the person they are today and those things are really interesting to explore they do continue to get explored and referenced in the later games particularly in the sort of character specific side missions you get in the versus games but this first one where you're sort of seeing the original context of why yagyu is so obsessed with hibari and um what what kataragi's uh, sort of relationship with her parents was and so on and the nice thing about this version over the 3DS version is uh, all of this is supported with additional lore that you can collect throughout the levels as well. Oh, that's neat. A lot of the levels have these uh, top secret files that you can find. And these are, these are nothing more than a bit of text and so on. But um, they, they've obviously thought about this very carefully and how they can tie this together and tie it into the later installments as well. So I won't get too much into this now, but basically the... The, the Senran Kagura series is um, kind of split into two timelines. Um, the, the, the two 3DS games are the, the first timeline. And the events at the end of Deep Crimson sort of um, reset everything, basically. I, I won't spoil okay. how and everything, but, but the end of Deep Crimson sort of reset everything. And what Burst Renewal is, is taking what happened in the original 3DS game and putting it into this second timeline. So... The characters from Gessen and the the second Hebijo crew and so on, they, they are only relevant in this second timeline. And so what Burst Renewal does through these top secret files and so on is it provides some of the links between the existing characters and the the slightly newer characters and so on. So like, oh, okay. So like there's some really interesting connections between um, sort of... Um, Katsuragi and the Gessen girls, for example. So, like, a significant part of the Gessen's backstory is that um, the guy Kurakagi, who is Yumi's grandfather and was sort of training all of the girls there, um, he was a renegade shinobi uh, who had people sent after him to uh, to assassinate him because renegade shinobi are bad and like they're not they're sort of worse than evil shinobi. Renegade shinobi just need to be destroyed at all costs. And it turns out that the people who were sent to assassinate him were Katsuragi's parents, who saw uh, all of the Gessen girls sort of surrounding him and adoring him and so on, and thought, well, we, we, we can't do that, we can't, we can't kill this guy. And so they then went and became renegade shinobi themselves, and 
as part of trying to help them out, they gave their power gauntlets to Yozakura from Gessen, which is why Katsuragi only has power boots and not power gauntlets as well. And so, oh, yeah, that's neat. and so it's all it's it's all ties in together really nicely, and they've done a, they've done a great job on that. Even if it it is retrofitting it completely, but it works really well. They've obviously thought about trying to make it internally consistent, and they've done a really good job with that. And they've also done a very good job on. Um, reimagining the the final battle sequences. Um, so the the final battle of the 3DS original in the the Hanzo arc, um, you are fighting uh, Orochi or an incarnation of Orochi, um, who is sort of summoned by the events of the rest of the game and so on. You have this giant boss to fight on the 3DS. It was it was okay, um, but it was the sort of encounter that the kind of the 3DS wasn't really up to. Um, because it, it wanted to be sort of like a really spectacular confrontation about against this giant monster and some, but the sort of the the scale of things that it's possible to do on the small screen of the 3DS just didn't really make it work as well as it perhaps could do. In this in this new version, they've done an amazing job with that final battle. It's like a proper sort of huge boss that you're fighting with different phases and all sorts. So they've done a great job with that. I haven't played the Heavy Joe arc yet. Um, in the 3DS original, there was a really interesting sequence at the end of their story where they were sort of absorbed into Orochi and you were sort of fighting your way out from the inside of him and so on. So I'm really interested to see how they handle that in this version. But uh, yeah, based on how the Hanzo arc ended, I'm, I'm looking forward to that a great deal, definitely. So Yeah, that's. I'm really interested to see. I'm hoping really if, if 7 is a thing that ever happens <laughs> at this point, I'm really hoping for like you know more monstrous enemies and stuff because like that that all happens right that that that, like, yes. that gets unlocked right so like i like senran kagura a lot i really enjoyed i you know i spent like 60 hours in estival versus beat like full story mode for mm-hmm. all four yeah crews beat all the side character stories but when uh burst renewal and, and um Estival versus came out. I was like, I just don't really feel like I need more of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just never played them. But like, one of the things I think that could make me more interested would be like really refreshed enemy design. Yes. So yes. like, if there were monsters in seven and stuff besides just like more cute ninja girls mm-hmm. to fight, like I think I'd be more into the idea. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, and I think that's exactly what they're going for as well because the the yeah, I, I won't spoil the specific details of the ending of Peach Beach Splash, but the the main sort of narrative context of Peach Beach Splash is to set up um, what is clearly going to be the finale in seven. So seven seven is very obviously going to be the last game in the mainline narrative of the series. There might be some more sort of uh, cute stuff that they do with the characters like Pinball and so on, but 7 is definitely yeah. going to be the do-or-die moment for everyone. So throughout Estival Versus, they kind of built up um, this sort of world-eating Yoma called Shin, and like a lot of what they were doing in Estival Versus was sort of preparing themselves for conflict with, with Shin, but you never actually take him on and and likewise in peach beach splash there's a lot of sort of mention of him being terrible and so on and that sort of thing but when you finish peach peach splash there is a short about sort of 30 second teaser that you can probably find on youtube if you're curious um that shows sort of a real genuine apocalyptic things going on uh and sort of the ending is sort of teasing um uh, Homer and Asuka is sort of having their usual rivalry and they are sort of suggesting that one of them is going to die the next time they have a fight um, 
which would be an entirely i mean it'll make a lot of people really angry regardless of whoever dies but it would be an entirely appropriate way for that story to finish um so yeah i'm very it's interested it's gonna be the classic it's yeah. gonna be the anime classic like the demon's gonna infest one of them yeah and then, like the other is gonna have to like put them down like tearfully yeah <laughs> like that's that's where it's going yeah it's either that or they're both going to die Oh, yeah. Yeah, awesome. which is entirely... They're, they're both going to die in each other's arms, saving the rest of them or something like that. I don't yeah. know. As we'll, long as Hikage makes it, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be alright. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, yeah, I mean, I mean, my, my mind is a whirl with possibilities for this series now. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of excited about it all over again after the games I've been playing lately. So I really hope that sort of the... the the various difficulties they've run into with development of seven with with sony doing stuff with don't affect how it turns out because just make of, it on the switch yeah <laughs> like well, I mean, every, yeah. everyone knows i mean yeah that, on the switch that's the simple answer but i mean also replaying these games the the one thing that's kind of struck me as i go through is like the the fan service element that people bitch about all the time is such a minor part of the experience um it, i mean it, it is it is there obviously but it it is not even anywhere near as bad as people like to make out. It is just part of the game's style. It's just part of the way it's presented. And it's not even like over the top or anything like that. It's 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 just part of the way these girls talk to each other and the presentation of the series and so on. So like, the main point of this series is still character-centric stuff with a really interesting overall ongoing long-term narrative. And so yeah, so so for it to sort of run into issues over over fan servicey content is a, a real bummer because like the main reason a lot of people are interested in this series and still invested in it is because they love the characters. Like, it's not because they want to fuck the characters; it's because they love the characters. I was gonna say like we've had this discussion a thousand times, and that you on your blog, but like I just genuinely love these girls so yeah. much. Yeah, and it's just, and it's like like um, y- y- yes, do do. Does my love for Hikage, like, yes, I'm also attracted to Hikage. <laughs> like, d- duh. But, like, it's not, like, gross. It's like, I would want to date Hikage. Like, you you yeah. know, like, it's it's cute. Like, yeah. it's not, like, gross. Like, I love these girls. And they're all wonderful. And I want to be there. You know, like, we've talked about, like, the, the moe as a concept, mm-hmm. right? At, at its core, is, is it sexuality can be part of it, but, yeah. like, it's... It is not. It is not essential to the moe aesthetic and the moe feeling. And like for me, like I want to go on adventures with these girls yes. and hang out with yeah. them and like be part of their just like bumbling world of like good natured rivalry. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's not gross and like prurient for me. It's like, oh Riona, you're such a dum dum. Like. <laughs> Like you, you know, like it's. I, I love them. They're yeah. fun. They're my friends. Yeah, yeah, exactly the same way. Exactly the same way. Uh, right. Anyway, uh, so I am continuing to cover Senran Kagura on MarioGamer.net at the minute. Uh, I will. Ha- I'm, I'm probably going to split my burst renewal right up into into two parts because of the two sort of big narrative arcs in that. So. Um, at the time you hear this, um, the my write-up on the Hanzo part will be, if not up already, then certainly coming very soon, so watch out for that. Um, and yeah, uh, after after that, we'll be, we'll be moving on to Peach Ball, which is an altogether different experience, but still a lot of fun. So, 
Right, I think we've uh, we've talked a great deal about what we've been playing there. So let's take a short break, and then we will probably talk a great deal about some of the things that have been happening recently. So There's so much going on. There is indeed. All right, so let's take that short break, and we'll see you in a moment. Welcome back. So, um, as I said earlier today, we're just going to focus on various different happenings from Nintendo Direct, TGS, and various other things that have just been going on lately, because there's been a lot of things going on that are sort of a good prompt for discussions, and things that are, we've just found interesting or noteworthy, or that sort of thing. So, we're not going to do these in any particular order, I don't think. It'll probably work out roughly chronologically from when they were announced, but uh, yeah, they will probably deviate in all sorts of interesting directions so uh yeah let's begin yes so um the first thing i have on my list is that snk announced that they are doing a um an arcade stick mini console type thing um so this was this was first announced sort of in early september and then a little bit more recently they have uh, confirmed what is actually going to be on it if i can just find where i actually posted that um it's uh, it's but it's all fighting games so this this is a a fight stick that is loaded with fighting games basically the yes. shape of the of the uh unit itself is based on the neo geo cd controller but it's it's an arcade stick so it's much larger larger um so there are 20 games on it uh which are all fighting games uh that includes uh king of fighters 95 97 98 99 2000 2002 uh fatal fury special fatal fury 3 garu mark of the wolves samurai showdown 2 samurai showdown 3 4 5 art of fighting world heroes 2 world heroes 2 jet world heroes perfect Ninja Master apostrophe S and The Last Blade Two and Kizuna Encounter Tag Battle. Uh, so a couple things on this lineup. Uh -huh. um, I don't understand why all three World Heroes. <laughs> 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 like you literally just need World Heroes Perfect. So uh -huh. this is weird. Um, but this thing is worth owning solely for Ninja Masters and Kizuna Encounter. Mm -hmm. Kazuna Encounter yeah. is unbelievable. I've I've not come across that one before. I've come across Ninja Masters before because that was on the um what was it called? The the compilation they did for PS2 that they re-released for PS4 a while back. Oh, I don't AD, remember that. ADK or something? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, I've come across that one before. I, I haven't seen Kazuna Encounter before though, I don't think. Yeah, it is um it is something special. <laughs> I, I don't even just the the sprite work <laughs> and the flow so Kazuna Encounter is a tag team fighter but um, yeah. it was one of the earliest tag team fighters ever made so yeah. um, what it does differently than what you're traditionally used to with a you know normally in a tag team fighter what we're used to from like the Marvel superheroes or, or Marvel vs. Capcom and like later with 3D ones it's just like there's a button combo to tag out 
But Kazuna Encounter didn't just require a button combo to tag out, it required you to be standing in a very specific tag out zone that was telegraphed oh, okay. on the stage by like coloring the floor. Right. So you also had to like worry about your positioning in order to strategically do that tag out maneuver. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of was different. I don't think I've ever played a, a tag team fighter that had that. It seems like a little thing, but it's not when you're in the heat of battle and you're about to die and then like, oh, yeah. you just backflip into that zone, tag out, save yourself. Like, the added pressure of having to be in that specific spot changes mm. up the dynamic considerably. It, it, yeah. It's really a cool game. Mm. And it's one of those games that goes for like <laughs> ridiculous amounts of money. No, I bet. I mean, it's it's a Neo Geo game, so obviously, but like, let, let me just see here. Uh, oh, here we go. Here's a boxed copy of Kazuna Encounter Super Tag Battle uh, for the AES home cart, $3,500. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, Ninja Masters is an expensive one as well, isn't it? Yes. Oh, for sure it is. Hmm. Um, Ninja Masters is is an is incredible because just the 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 smoothness of the combat is out of this world. Yeah. Um so uh the uh I'm looking at a copy of the CD version of Ninja Masters it's $318. Yeah. Um uh cart and cart in box AES home versions are going for anywhere between 2 and $300. Um Yeah, this this game is gorgeous and plays yeah. beautifully oh here's a complete inbox copy thir- for 3500 um <laughs> yeah it's just here's yeah. a neo geo system with a copy of it and two controllers for 800 dollars. that's actually a pretty good pickup add to cart <laughs> oh it would be nice to be able to do that wouldn't it oh god yeah like, the money it would take to collect neo geo seriously like have you ever have you ever trolled like neo geo collectors message boards i i've never dared because it, it's just a world that i i think i think it is a world that would be too different to mine it would just make my brain explode well these have I to just... be millionaires it's the, yeah. the these have to be people who make upwards of three hundred thousand dollars a year yeah. It's the only way. How can how else can you justify collecting for a system where the games cost over $100 per game? Yeah. You know like I collect I'm... for systems where the occasional game is over $100. <laughs> yeah. The th- thing is Neo Geo has always been like this though, hasn't it? Like even back when it was current, it was still well, enormously new, expensive. A new Neo Geo game cost like $200 when the Neo yeah. Geo was on the market as a new system because part, yeah. of, part of what's interesting about the Geo is the majority of the hardware for Geo games is in the cart, not in the... Yes. Because yeah. the, the Geo system itself is really just a PCB board. So yeah. that's why if you look at like... If you look at old original Geo games from the launch of the console, and then you look at like Samurai Showdown Five, it almost looks like the difference between Nintendo and Super Nintendo. Like it, it looks like system generation spanning levels of difference. Yeah, and that's because the 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 way the system was built was to allow tech to be an integral part of the cartridges. Mm. Um, and let's not forget too that every Neo Geo cartridge has two circuit boards in it. Yes. Like, the actual, like, if you turn one and look inside the cart, there's two boards inside there. They have vents on them. They get hot. (laughs) 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 Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, that's bonkers. Apparently, Kizuna Encounter is so expensive because there are only five known copies of the PAL version. 
Oh shit! Maybe that's what I was quite, looking at was the PAL version. Yeah, quite how that happened, I don't know, but yeah, I'm I'm just looking at some stuff on it now. But uh, yeah, apparently apparently the the Japanese original is is relatively relatively common. Um, but yeah, apparently there are only five known copies of the of the European version. Have so, they announced uh, yeah. any kind of pricing for this arcade stick yet? Uh, I'm just looking now. Because I'm just I'm looking at this thing, and it's got great capabilities, right? So like, this thing operates in and of itself, right? Mm -hmm. It can be plugged in via HDMI. It's it's a nice good-looking stick that's modeled after the original Pro controller that was available for the home AES console. Yeah. You can plug it in via HDMI to a television, and it can run by mm -hmm. itself. It also yep. has two ports on it to allow you to play multiplayer, if you want, with the CD-style controllers that were available for the Neo Geo Mini. Yeah. But, but, conversely, you can also use it as a controller on the Neo Geo Mini. Oh, wow. That's cool. So... It's really, and you can use it as a joystick on PC via USB. Oh, that's yeah, that's super so, cool. Then. So this is a really cool device, and normally I'm not super into these arcade sticks. I mean these these home consoles, these mini consoles. I don't even have a Neo Geo Mini, but um, this is just really neat in terms of functionality. And I'm just wondering yeah. what the price point is going to be like because my head is just immediately comparing this to that garbage awful like <laughs> LOL what were they thinking <laughs> thing that Capcom is shitting out that like that yeah. like $500 like CPS2 board thing where, <laughs> that looked like yeah. a Tonka toy that <laughs> yeah that we laughed about <coughs> like 30 minutes a couple months ago yeah no, it looks like they haven't announced price or release date just yet. That's that's just coming later, apparently, from the sound of things. But uh, but this could yeah, theoretically go for 150 bucks and still be yeah. a very reasonable pickup based on the games that are included. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if if you're in the market for um, an arcade stick of some description, then yeah, that would be it. Would be a no-brainer, wouldn't it? Definitely. Well, one to keep an eye on. Definitely. It's. Uh, I mean, it would have been nice to see some stuff that wasn't fighting games on there, as a few people have raised, but, I, I mean... That's what the Neo Geo Mini's for, though. That, yeah. That thing's I, I, robust. Yeah. I can't believe yeah. the lineup on those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, nice to see Neo Geo making such a comeback over the last few years, really, because it was always sort of like the unattainable amazing thing that you you only read about in magazines back when it was current and sort of to ha to have these games readily accessible in so many places these days is is really nice so yeah yeah good on them for sort of bringing it bringing it to people in lots and lots of different ways it's so. uh i just can't wait for more people to play kazuna encounter because <laughs> when i go on social media and raise and rave about how much i love rosa now people will know who I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, good stuff. All right, let's continue on then. The next thing I've got on my list then is that uh, Onion Games, who made, uh, what do they make? Million Onion Hotel, Dandy Dungeon, and that lot. Um, they are bringing a, a game from their past called Moon to yes. Nintendo Switch. I, I don't know a ton about this game. I've just been reading about it today, and it sounds sounds very interesting. Um, it describes itself as an anti RPG. Um, do you know much about this? Yeah. So, so Moon is a anti RPG is really the best way to describe it, and it's uh, it's one of those games that like people like 
who are kind of into alternative game design, people like Toby Fox of Undertale, like Sight Moon is like an incredible inspiration. Yeah. Um, and it essentially is just looking to take um, RPG mechanics that you're very you know familiar with, like this top-down, top-down kind of view and emphasis on exploration, but it removes a lot of kind of the busy work of RPGs, it, it distillation, it distills and takes all the this the stats out, and really just makes it about being like present in the world. Um, yeah, it's non-violent. Like there's not battle sequences. It's more like. Um, it almost has like an Animal Crossing kind of feel to it, like where you're like you're meeting people <clears throat> and just kind of helping them, like achieve yeah. their goals and like forging friendships and like being part of this world and like fostering community and exploring things. And it's it's not a violent, competitive experience about like domination or victory. It's just kind of about like living in this place and like being part of it. Uh, yeah. in a very mellow feel good kind of way but then it's also you know very otherworldly hmm yeah just just reading a, a little bit on this now it sounds sounds really interesting so just for, for the unfamiliar the sort of basic concept is that um initially you are playing a game within a game that is like a, a parody of um role-playing games and so it, it sort of condenses everything into a minute and like the person you're playing sort of skips through all the backstory and stuff so it sort of really rushes through stuff and then what subsequently happens is is that he gets sucked into this world and then that's that's where sort of the main game starts um but yeah it sounds really interesting it's got it's got a sort of like a, a day of the week system and um regular schedules throughout the week and uh, relationship systems and ways of customizing the music and also it sounds sounds fascinating um it's it's never been released outside of japan and fan translations over the years have sort of all, all been aborted for various re reasons from the sound of things um but this version on switch is is definitely coming west um we don't know exactly when yet uh we all we've had so far is that um it's coming soon after the Japanese release, uh, but we don't know exactly when. But um, Onion Games, Yoshiro Kimura, has been sort of very good about getting stuff localised. Um, particularly his mobile stuff has, has all come over to the West as well, fully localised and very well localised as well in my relatively limited experience of them. Um, so yeah, it'll be good to, good to see this because it sounds like an absolutely fascinating game. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I first found out about Moon, I think a lot of, most people, is a uh, Hardcore Gaming 101 has an incredible write-up on it. Yeah. And, and um, one of the things that I always, what always sticks with me when I think about it is kind of there's a, this sentence from the closing paragraph I'm looking at right now because I wanted to refresh myself when we talked about it, but like, uh, the sense, most importantly, this game is an endless dispute between the creator's reverence for the Dragon Quest series and the desire to overthrow and surpass it. So it's <laughs> it, it, so it's kind of just it's defined by that idea of like celebrating something while also taking what's ridiculous about it, like disassembling it. Yeah, and I love games like that. Just in the same way, Undertale is is, is fantastic. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a fascinating one, definitely. Okay, so I want to keep an eye on, certainly. All right, next thing we have on the list then is that um, there is a spin-off of the Way of the Samurai series uh, called Katana Kami coming to PS4, Switch, and PC in early 2020. Um, now, this sounds pretty interesting, actually, because it's... Um, 
is sort of making use of a lot of the settings and characters from Way of the Samurai, um, but then turning it into more of a a kind of hack and slash mm-hmm. loot whoring action RPG from the sound of things. Yeah. So so it sounds as if there's sort of three main elements to the game. Um, so you're sort of exploring randomly generated dungeons and hacking the slashing enemies and getting treasures and materials and that sort of thing. Um, you're also running a blacksmith um, to sort of build weapons and sell them. And you, you, the main concept of it is you're trying to repay a debt from the sound of things. Um and yeah, so you can and you can sort of interact with people and and that kind of thing. So yeah, this sounds like a, a really interesting game. I'm I'm not experienced with the way of the Samurai series at all. I do have the PS2 one, I think, mm. um, but I haven't tried it yet. Um, but I I know this is one of those series that sort of people who play it seem to really like it. Yeah, they're good games. They're they're kind of um, so like what the original Samurai way of the Samurai games were kind of defined by really interesting gameplay loop where like you could play way of the samurai in like three hours right like three or five hours and that was the whole idea is just like every choice you made everything you did in this living breathing world had an effect right like who you allied yourself with who you killed who you didn't kill if you killed someone in this world they were dead and that would affect the story so like no two gameplays were the same and if you died if you died that gameplay was over like that was the end of your story and then you'd start a new game and that was kind of what way of the samurai always was was just kind of this kind of choose your own adventure in a in a feudal japan setting and it was really unique because of it and, and a really heavy emphasis on kind of this realistic slowly paced combat about like reading reading your opponent and being aware of space and timing like this is not a button mashy action game and like the type yeah. of sword you were using the weight of that sword the stances you were using all super important um so it's always a really interesting game in the way it tried to kind of balance I mean, realistic is probably not the right word, but, like, an actual, like, exploration of, like, feudal Japan and, like, the interplay mm-hmm. between, like, um, noble houses and uh, beggars and gangs and just the, the workings of the this world and, and how you could explore it and, like, weave your way through it and build different stories. So it's always been a great series. So it's interesting to hear that this new one is kind of going in this, like, action-y hack and slashy element because i wonder how it will really be tied to way of the samurai when what defined way of the samurai was this kind of like realism yeah i mean i can't wait for this game because i'll play any like samurai action game but like i'll be really (laughs) i'll be really interested to see how it kind of pays tribute to the legacy of the series while also kind of you know making it its own thing yeah yeah, and no, it sounds like an interesting concept, the way that the, the sort of different gameplay elements are t- uh, combined together and the sort of the way it's based on day and night and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in this one. And what you've said there as well has got me very interested in Way of the Samurai as well, so I might have to... Yeah, it's almost like Samurai Shenmue, right? Like, it's like a leave, living, breathing world. And if you're not... You know, if, you're, if, the, if the rebel girl tells you to be there for the meeting to plot the revolution at 6 o'clock at night tomorrow... And, yeah. you're, and you're not there. You missed that. Yeah. So now, yeah. You, now you have to figure out what you're going to do, right? Like, because the, re- yeah. the rebels don't like you anymore because they told you to be there, <laughs> and you and you weren't. <laughs> so now you've made an enemy out of them. So then, do you go? Yeah. Do you go join the the mafia? Do you, do you like what do you do? Yeah. And that's kind of way of the samurai. It's just like 
circumstantially etching out this story for yourself based on your own successes and failures. Mm. Which is oh, life, really cool. but you get to be a samurai instead. So. That sounds very cool. I, I, I kind of understand why, because I, I follow a few streamers who've played this game quite a lot, and it's kind of making more sense to me now why that's a good game for stream, if there's lots of different decisions you can make and different ways to play and so on. You so, could yeah, make that's... a stream that's just Way of the Samurai, because no two playthroughs yeah. are the same. Because li literally, like, if you fail a fight, Right, like it has a different, you know, like if you're walking through the through the fields and like a guy's like a guy challenges you and you know he beats you within an inch of your life and you run away, like that's gonna affect the game differently than if you kill him. Yeah, because he's yeah. dead in that world. Then you don't know he might have been the blacksmith's son, and now the blacksmith mm -hmm. won't work on your swords for the rest of the game. So good yeah. luck figuring out how to play through the rest of the game when you're stuck with the sword you had at the start of the game and it's broken now because weapons break <laughs> <laughs> like you know that's how that's way of the samurai yeah oh that's super cool yeah i'm gonna have to check that out then for sure all right continuing on uh next thing this is going to be mostly you because i don't know anything about yeah. the series um but brigandine the legend of runertia has had some gameplay uh, gameplay footage released at tokyo game show uh this game looks complicated yeah yeah <laughs> welcome to welcome to brigandine um so a couple on our previous show right we had talked about just like the rumblings that Brigandine was coming back in some way, shape, or form. And I was just like, mm -hmm. please let it be proper. Please let them not distill it and make a mess of it. Please let it not be a mobile game. Like, I had no idea yeah. what was going to happen. But this is freaking proper Brigandine. This is a mm -hmm. hex-based strategy game on a massive scale. Yeah. And that's all I wanted. Just, like, looking at the footage right now, there's, like, 30 units on the field, and it's just all fantasy monsters. There's beautiful art going on. The only thing I'm not noticing that I'm kind of missing from the original is um, the original had these, like, beautiful, clunky attack animations. Oh, okay. Like, it would, yeah. like, it would, like, go to a different screen, and you'd see, like... A terrible dragon made of like thirty polygons, like eat it, like hit, <laughs> like like hit a giant spider made of thirty polygons, and like I know the modern sensibility in game design is like stuff like that distracts from the game and it like mm -hmm. it disrupts the flow. But I used to love it, so like I'm mm -hmm. hoping something like that exists in this new one, and maybe they just have it turned off as an option in this footage. Yeah, yeah. But um, I I really hope something like that makes its return. But like this is proper brigandine. It's a really just complex turn-based strategy game with a hex grid and i can't stress that enough because i play a lot of overhead turn-based strategy rpgs and the hex grid is so rare so rare yeah um, yeah and it, it i can't express enough how much it totally changes the dynamic of combat oh yeah absolutely to have to watch absolutely. six sides of a character instead of four mm -hmm. so just just fantastic and i can't wait to get yeah. my hands on it Good stuff. So, um, not a lot more details on that at the minute, no. uh, but it's it's coming uh, in 2020 to Switch. Uh, don't think there's any news of a localization as yet, but I mean, with the way things are now, yeah, uh, this I'd day be I'd, yeah, I'd be surprised if we don't see that. So that's cool. Um, next one, uh, another one for you, definitely. Cyber Troopers Virtual on Masterpiece for PS4 launches on November the 27th this yes. year, so feel free to let, let rip about Virtual on for a few minutes. Yeah, so I mean, Virtual on is incredible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Virtual on is kind of the essential twin stick versus game. Um, mm -hmm. 
it, it didn't create the genre, but it certainly perfected it. Um, yeah. And if you're a mech head like me, it's everything, right? It's one of Sega's greatest properties that everyone seems to forget about. Um, and yeah. here we've got this really lovely collection coming out on the PS4 um, that's going to include the original, the original 1995 Virtual On, um, Oratorio Tangram, which is the DC version, and Virtual On Force from 2001, um, mm-hmm. all on. Um, all on one collection, and it's also going to be compatible with the twin stick controller that Tanita's releasing, of course. Um, yes. And all three titles are going to support online play, um, which is essential because this is an arcade game. If Virtual mm-hmm. On is one of those beautiful arcade cabinets where it's like the two, the two big seats, either facing each other or next to each other, and you're playing one on one. Yeah. With the twin sticks, and it's just such an experiential game. So, and it's also one of those games that's always translated poorly to controllers until the days of twin stick on controllers. So it's going to be great to finally have these on a modern console with twin stick. Yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know too much about, you know, whether or not this is going to get localized or any of that jazz, but it is wonderful that virtual on is, is going to be accessible to modern audiences in some way, shape mm-hmm. or form. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even if it doesn't get localized, I mean, it's, it's, it's an easy matter to set up a, a Japanese PlayStation account these days. So Absolutely. There's no sort of region locking on systems or anything like that. So yeah, if you do want to play it and it, it doesn't happen to come West then there are ways to play it. I'm just watching the footage of this now from TGS. So the guy playing it with the twin sticks, he looks like he's having such a good time. <laughs> oh, it's the most, it's, it's, it's so much fun, dude. It, like, yeah. Look at his hands go. Look at his trigger, I- look at his trigger fingers go. Well, I, I'm just looking at his face. He's just got this broad grin on his face while he's playing all the time. It's just so nice to see. <laughs> it's because he loves virtual on, and yeah. you're a fool if you don't. Like it's so much. <laughs> it's so much fun to just hop in a giant anime mech with a unique control scheme and bash on your friends. But like, I can't stress enough that like it's it's not it's not less fun without special twin sticks. Like it's still yeah. a, it's still a great game mechanically and from a design perspective. So like. Don't feel like you can't play it just because you don't want to invest like three hundred dollars in this Tanita yeah. stick. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, so continuing on, the next thing we have is that uh, Piki and Tamsoft have announced an action game called Hino Maruko for PS4 and Switch. Um, it, it's it's really just a teaser at the minute. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly looking pretty cool. It's about a girl who fights mechs, yeah. which is a fine combination of things. Yeah. Um, yeah, so not not a ton to say about this at the minute. But the the little footage that there is there so far looks looks super stylish. Yeah, and, I just posted uh, it because we love Tamsoft, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, new Tamsoft game. Got to at least give it a shout out. Yeah. But yeah, it looks like sort of like super slick, sixty frames a second action, lots of ridiculous special attacks. Uh, she's got a mechanical gauntlet, which is animated really nicely. Um, some some sort of giant mech she's fighting against, and sort of hacking chunks off them and that sort of thing. So yeah, this looks like it could, it could be a lot of fun. But uh, as I say, not a ton to actually say about it at the minute. Uh, I've not come across Peaky before. Are you familiar with them? I have no idea who they are, honestly. Uh, I don't yeah, know I'm if just... they're a game studio. Is it an artist? Is it? I don't know. I'm just trying to look them up now. Um... Apparently, Piki is a bread made from blue cornmeal used in Hopi cuisine. I don't. Ah, think that's yeah, I don't, I don't think that's what we're talking about here. 
No. Um, they published Blade Strangers in Japan. Oh, oh so it must <laughs> just be a publisher, a Japanese publisher. Yeah, I guess they, so. They must be going to so. publish it. Yeah, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Because Tamsoft are more of a developer, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah usually Tamsoft works with Marvelous, so I'm wondering, mm. I'm wondering what happened here. Yeah, well... We'll see. Yeah. Okay, so not much more to say on that at the minute. Uh, similarly, not a ton to say on this as well, but it's worth acknowledging. Uh, so Yuji Naka is working on an original action game at Square Enix, and he seems very happy about it. I'm happy um, about so, it. <laughs> yeah. So he was. it was his birthday the other day on September the 17th, and he, he posted a, a very nice picture of himself standing outside Square Enix's office with a big smile on his face saying, Thank you for your birthday message. Today I'm 54 years old. How many games will I be able to make by the retirement age, including the original action game that I'm currently making at Square Enix? I'd like to work hard to develop a game that everyone around the world can enjoy. Um, oh, and that's about it, really. Yeah, that's about it, really. We don't know what his game is, but um, Yuji Naka, I mean, most people listening probably know already, but Yuji Naka is basically the creator of Sonic the Hedgehog. So, um, yeah, it's like, first of all, there's a lot to unpack in that statement. First of all, Yuji Naka, if you're listening, you are never allowed to retire. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you are never allowed to go away. You are everything that is good in game design. Mm-hmm. And I owe you my childhood, so don't ever retire. Um, yep. But second of all, no matter what he makes, it will be enjoyed the world over. So yes, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So he's one of those creators when all you have to do is hear he's involved in something, mm-hmm. and you just like you, you get the tingles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's just I don't know. There, there was just something about that tweet. There was just so something so lovely and wholesome, enthusiastic about it. It was just it was just really nice to see. It's like, even though we got no details about this game, I, ha- I have confidence and faith in this project just because he's involved and he seems to be he seems to be having a good time with it, and that's that's just so nice to see. With all the doom and gloom we have with sort of working in the industry these days, it's just nice to see someone who clearly loves what they do still being able to do what they love. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm just thinking about how cool Rodea the Sky Soldier was, even though nobody played it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I still haven't played it actually. I do have it, which is a start. I haven't played it yet. Um, but yes. God, Fantasy Star, Knights, Burning Rangers, mm-hmm. Fantasy Star Online. Yeah. Billy Hatcher, which also was amazing, but nobody played it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'd really like to play Burning Rangers. That's one I've never played. Yeah. Um, I, d- I don't know if you've been uh, following uh, Kimmy Me's blog recently. Oh, uh, she's been uh, on it. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, people listening to this who haven't come across Kimmy Me online before, if you if you look for the blog Kimmy Me, the game eating she monster, um, she explores a lot of the same sort of games that we talk about here. Lots of sort of Japanese obscurities and that sort of thing. And and she's she's been on a bit of a Saturn kick recently. Oh. Um, and one of the things she explored was Burning Rangers. And yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Just just reading what she had to say about it just really gave me a a sort of desire to check that out and play because my, my sole contact with Burning Rangers so far has been the level in Sonic and All Star. Racing Transformed oh. with the song. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Kimimi is one of the internet's greatest treasures. Yeah. Like, she is so yeah. good. And the games she focuses on are just so interesting. And, and, and her enthusiasm for them is infectious. Yeah. Um, she's just wonderful. I read, I read, I can't express enough how few blogs I read. I just don't have time. But yeah. I always like to see what she's up to. Yeah. Well, there's your shout-out, if you're listening, which you 
may not be i don't know anyway <laughs> uh, go, go go read her stuff go read her stuff uh, regardless of whether or not she's listening so moving on uh bandai namco have trademarked a bunch of stuff some of which is very exciting indeed in fact a lot of which is very exciting indeed yeah. uh, so so they've uh, filed a bunch of new trademarks um that include uh, five encore titles um and so those include genpei tomaden encore klonoa encore mr driller encore splatterhouse encore and wagyan land encore and uh, there's also another trademark um that looks like it might be related to some sort of um shonen jump thing which is rise yeah. of new champions um I, I think sort of the main interesting thing in this is the encore games um and yeah. especially some of the, some of these franchises that have been dormant for a very long time uh looking potential to come back i mean we don't know what form they're going to take yet we don't know if they're going to be shitty mobile games or if they're going to be sort of full-on releases or anything like that but encore kind of suggests um like a, a remake or a remaster yeah which, 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 which would is be what cool. i'm hoping for just like new, yeah. like new games paying tribute yeah yeah it, it'd be really nice to sort of um have a more e- readily accessible way to play Klonoa, for example, mm-hmm. because that's that's quite tough to get hold of these days in, in both of its incarnations. Because it came out on was it Wii as well? Yeah. So there was I a think. oh there was a full remake of the PS One original on the Wii. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even that's remake. gone up in yeah, even that's gone up in price quite a bit. Oh, I late. believe it. It's very um, good. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I I love yeah. Klonoa. Like mm. love Klonoa. Like to the to the point where like. I don't know if it's because of like, a very specific time in my life or something, but like, like there's certain tracks from like Klonoa Two that like get me teary. Mm. Like I love Klonoa so much. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can understand that. I mean, I didn't play it back in the day, but the last time we we talked about this because we, we have discussed this before. I think it was when we were talking about mascot platformers. Mm, nice. um, I um I I emulated it and gave it a go and I was yeah instantly smitten with it de- definitely and then I looked at the prices of it and I was stopped <laughs> um yeah yeah <laughs> maybe I don't need to play this um just yet but uh, yeah again when I win that million I'll uh, collect it alongside all my Neo Geo games <laughs> you let me know when that happens yeah yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, again, it's also nice to see stuff like Mr. Driller and Splatterhouse in there because again, those are those are both games that are good and fun, and we haven't really seen much from lately. I mean, there was wasn't there a, there was a Splatterhouse game last generation, wasn't there? I think, but yeah, it was American developed. It, it, oh, I, right, I never yeah. I never played it. It looked like a hell of a lot of fun though. Mm. Like I don't know, yeah. you know, how much it feels like or like is anything splatterhouse in, in spirit besides the fact that you're a dude in a mask killing monsters but like yeah i read a lot of positive feedback from like fans that were like listen this might not feel like splatterhouse but as far as like just like mindless 3d action games go yeah. it's, it's a ton of fun so like i do still want to play it but i never got yeah. around to it yeah Okay, uh, continuing on, um, some slightly more substantial concrete news now, uh, which is that Dragon Quest 1, 2, and 3 are all coming to Switch very, very soon. In fact, uh, yes. September the 27th. Um, so these are ports of the mobile versions, I think, which um, I know some people get a bit sniffy about that sort of thing. But from what I understand, the mobile versions of these were pretty good. Um Especially when compared to what Square Enix have done with Final Fantasy on mobile, um, so I, I I haven't tried them myself, but 
they they certainly look decent and like they don't look like they've been knocked up in five minutes on visual studio like um like the final fantasy interfaces do um so yeah these these are all coming to europe and north america as well as japan on september the 27th uh dragon quest will cost four dollars 99 dragon quest 2 will be six dollars 49 and dragon quest 3 will be 12 dollars 49 um because they they sort of basically exponentially increase in size and complexity with each of those early installments i know the first dragon quest is very short for example um and then dragon quest 3 is pretty substantial from what i understand um there is also a physical release of this um in asia which you can get through play asia um i don't know if you can still get it through play asia at the time of recording i haven't looked but they were certainly doing pre-orders for it the other day oh i'm sure and I- yeah, and that includes all three of them, and there is an English language option as well. So if you would like Dragon Quest 1, 2, and 3 on your shelf, that is the way to go for it. Otherwise, they are eShop exclusives um, elsewhere in the world. So yeah. watch out for those. Yep, no, it's it's still available. As of the time of recording, it's, mm-hmm. it's still up, yeah. up up on PlayAsia to add to cart. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I, I would like to see some of the other Dragon Quests re-released as well. It'd be nice to see the DS ones brought to some other platforms as well. Yeah, I mean, everyone's um, been saying like there should just be a, a four, five, six, just like this. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I, I and I mean the the DS ones they wouldn't really have to do a ton to because the DS ones didn't do a massive amount with the two screens. It was mostly you just had a really tall screen. Well, the DS ones are just expanded ports of the PlayStation versions. So all they really have to do is just forget about the DS ones and port the PlayStation versions. Yes. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Sorted. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That that would definitely be very nice because uh, I mean, although although we've talked about how much we like the DS, I would love to sort of be in a position where i can do a bit more with those dragon quest games like if i could make some videos like i'm doing with final fantasy at the moment or mm-hmm. just making it easy to take screenshots from it because do you know how hard it is to take a screenshot from the ds it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard enough that i never considered trying if that makes, yeah if that makes yeah. sense oh it's a nightmare it's like it's like you either have to do it with like specialized hardware or get some sort of hideously expensive thing that allows you to extract save games from ds carts and then emulate it or um get really good with a camera (laughs) it's just giving me flashbacks to how my uh, me my dad and my brother used to be when we were working on um the old atari magazine page six back when back when i was a kid and we had to take screenshots by blacking out all the windows, uh, putting an SLR camera on a tripod in front of the monitor, and just sort of, <laughs> just sort of taking a photo of the screen and hoping it would come out all right. Uh, uh, it was insane. It was insane. But um, yeah. Wait. So that's that's a pain. I'm just going to interrupt this uh, for Please a moment do. to express that I'm on Play Asia dicking around right now because I wanted to mm-hmm. see if. Um, I wanted to see what was going on, and uh, mm-hmm. PlayAsia is already taking pre-orders for the PAL version of Deadly Premonition Origins on the Switch. So I just wanted to throw that out there: a physical, Wait, a, a physical copy of Deadly Premonition Origins on the Switch. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> very interesting. I mean, I, I do have the original Xbox 360 version. Um, so i i don't know if i'll jump on that but it's cool that that's getting a physical version deadly premonition is so good i love deadly premonition uh i can't remember if we've really talked about it on this podcast before but um 
yeah, Deadly Premonition is is sort of I don't know. It's really weird because I, I mean, it's it's legendary for sort of being. I mean, it's not a world record holder for like the most divisive video game of all time or something like that. But mm-hmm. it's it's one of those games that um, kind of like Near has sort of it got a questionable reception when it was current, uh, but then sort of over time, people have really come to appreciate what it was trying to do and how well it is doing those things. Um, have you have you played it at all? I have sadly not. I o- I own mm. like the enhanced PS3 version, right? So yeah. it, it it's best it's best to go in knowing as little as possible about it because yeah. it just does so many interesting and cool things over its duration that just make you go, oh, I didn't I didn't know you could do that in a game, or I didn't know that was an acceptable thing to do in a game. Just in in mechanical terms, in narrative terms, in terms of characterization, Sweary is. I mean, we, we on our list for potential topics at some point. We we have sort of gaming auteurs and so on. Sweary will definitely come up in that at some point. But oh yeah, Sweary is an absolute genius. He's yeah, he's he's he, for me he's on the level of uh, like Terry Yoko and um, uh, Suda Fifty One and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. He he's oh, yeah. right up there with them. He's he's nowhere near as well known as those, but just his his creativity and his enthusiasm and his desire to experiment and it's that's that's all super apparent in Deadly Premonition, um, which is as as good a jumping off point as any to say that uh, Deadly Premonition Two is coming out as well. That was announced as uh, one of probably the most surprising part of the Nintendo Direct that was uh, a yeah. couple of weeks ago. Um, was like, oh hey, we're making a sequel to Deadly Premonition. Um, okay, surprise, cool. <laughs> yeah. and it's going to be a switch exclusive at launch as well uh which is cool um so sweary made a statement uh about this he said that roughly 10 years have passed since the original was released in 2010 10 years jesus christ <laughs> um now a miracle has happened and i have a chance to reunite with my best friend something i never thought would be possible i'm working hard day and night while also looking back on the past to make sure this becomes something that doesn't change no matter how much time passes while also adapting to and interlocking with the current era a game that encompasses all please get yourself a cup of coffee and wait for it to be completed um yeah so this i'm I'm not gonna spoil the details but yeah deadly premonition it's its whole concept is it's it's very obviously based on um sort of the style and presentation of twin peaks Mm -hmm. um and and so the the second game looks like it's kind of continuing that sort of idea um it's got the protagonists from the original in it um but it's also um it looks like it's focusing a bit more on a new protagonist which is a a female character um not a ton we know at the minute there is a trailer out there um but yeah if we if we just have more of the same of deadly premonition of the way that works with Mm. like a new setting and story and so on i'm all about that definitely so yeah um deadly premonition is is very much worth playing um as i say i'm hesitant to say too much about it at that point but it was it's a relatively early game that i played in kind of i think of sort of 2010 as like my sort of turning point of when i sort of really decided to focus almost exclusively on the stuff that i specifically enjoyed playing rather than the stuff i thought i was supposed to be enjoying playing mm-hmm. if you see what i mean yeah and and deadly premonition was quite an early game i played among that collection of things and it and it sort of really stuck with me at that time it's 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 very important to me um for, for all sorts of reasons so yeah consider that my ringing endorsement of it 
Alright, uh, moving on. This is cool. I actually didn't see this while I was scrolling through, but I'm seeing it now, and I'm like, oh, this is exciting. Uh, which is that Death Smiles and Death Smiles 2 will be shooting onto multiple additional platforms, as Silicon Era fantastically said. Mm -hmm. um, so, this is um, Death Smiles and Death Smiles 2 are two shoot 'em ups by Cave, um, and it looks like they've got some sort of partnership going on with City Connection, which, which is, is cool. exciting. Yes, because that hopefully means that more Cave stuff will happen in the future yes. as well. Um, so Death Smiles, uh, I haven't played Death Smiles 2 because it's a bit more awkward to get hold of than the first one, uh, but Death Smiles is a gothic, um, a gothic inspired shoot 'em up where you control a flying, I guess they're witches, I think, um, and you, you fly through sort of various sort of gothic and Halloween inspired environments and you shoot stuff down and you fight a giant cow called Mary and, um, you fly through sort of the, the valley of death and there's lava spraying everywhere and the final boss is called tyranno satan which <laughs> i think i mentioned before yeah. um but yeah it oh, it's it's so good and it's it's got an amazing soundtrack if you love uh sort of michiru yamane's type stuff on the castlevania series if you like that sort of gothic rock sounds then death smiles has got such a good soundtrack uh in that style um, Death Smiles 2, I believe, what they did is the, the first one was sort of uh, Cave's traditional side-scrolling 2D art and sprite work. Uh, Death Smiles 2, I think, used polygonal graphics. Um, don't know much more about it than that because, like I say, that one's a, a little bit more difficult to get hold of. Yeah. Because it was, I think, it, it was some sort of region exclusive on Xbox 2 and I think it was digital only and it hasn't had any re-releases since then. The original Death Smiles has since come out on PC as well. That came out a couple of years back on Steam. Uh, so a few more people have had the opportunity to try that. But Death Smiles 2 has been a bit of an obscurity since it came out in 2011. Uh, but these are cool games. I love these games. These are some of my favorite. Sh well, the first one is one of my favorite shoot 'em ups, definitely. Yeah, I'm um, really excited too because City Connections involved, which means the likelihood of a physical release is very strong because City Connection yes. has an American arm, Dispatch Games, mm -hmm. and yes. and we've Dispatch Games has literally just been releasing stuff physically that there's no way in hell should even get physical releases. Yeah. Like Soldam, yeah, what, Soldam and uh, Cy, I was say, Cy some of their stuff they've released has been only physical and until quite recently. So, like Sol Soldam, when it came out, was only physical. It's only just been released digitally. And it came out like two years ago um, as a package release. <laughs> yeah, so I'm very confident that if this happens, it'll also be physical. And this yep, is great because I don't own Death Smiles. I don't own the 360 version of it or anything. Hmm. So Yeah. I, I do, because it's it's one of those games that... I, I wasn't sort of super into collecting shoes and maps at the time that I did pick it up, but I remember seeing it on the shelf and thinking, oh, this looks interesting. Um, and I, I also... Just something in my head told me, that, like, this game... This game's going to be worth getting, and it's also going to be one that will become very difficult and expensive to get hold of in the future, so you should probably pick it up right now. So I did, and I loved it. Um, so... Yeah, I, I have the 360 version on the shelf. I've got the one with the extra disc that's got like wallpapers and the soundtrack on it as well. So, yeah, it's a l lovely collection that they did in, in PAL regions. I'm not even sure they actually did that release in North America in the same way, but certainly the, the PAL release is really nice because it's, I think it's three discs altogether. It's a soundtrack CD, a disc of bonus extras, and then the game itself as well. So, sounds nice. 
Yeah, very nice indeed. So, uh, excited about that. Uh, talking of re-releases as well, the Atelier Dusk trilogy is coming to PlayStation 4, Switch, and PC. So, uh, I was kind of expecting this uh, with uh, what they did with the Arlen series uh, towards the end of last year. Uh, so, the Dusk series is Atelier Aisha, Atelier Escher and Logie, and Atelier Shali, uh, which is the the series of three games that followed the Arlen series. Um, if you're not familiar with the Atelier series, then they tend to work in trilogies. Um, and so they do three games in a particular setting that kind of um, they move throughout time so like the three installments of them they they might take place over the course of about sort of 15 years or so in total so for example in Atelier Rorina as part of the Ireland series you play that for I think uh, I think four years in total and then Tottery and Meruru are both five years as well so it's a similar sort of situation with Aisha, Escher and Logie and Shali. And so you sort of see the same characters and they get into various scrapes and you sort of see them get older and more experienced and sort of the protagonists of previous games tend to be sort of mentor characters in the later ones and so on. Dusk series I haven't played yet. Um, it... it I, I do have the PS3 versions. I've uh, there are enhanced versions on PlayStation Vita as well, which these Switch ports are going to be based on. Um... They are less sort of significant updates than they were for the Ireland ones because they were later games in the first place. So it's mostly the fact that they incorporate all of the um, downloadable content that um, was released for the original games. Um, but I know among Atelier fans, the Dusk series are some of the most well-regarded ones as well. Yeah, if you're a people, grumpy people, shit like me, it's most no, no, most notable for Shally being the only one that has no time limit. <laughs> it's like Shally has yes. no time restrictions. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so again, like I say, I haven't played these ones yet. They, they, I, I do want to cover these, like I did the Ireland games at some point, but I didn't want to cover them too close to the Ireland games. So they will happen at some point, um, but they will probably happen with the uh, deluxe versions now. So um, there are apparently more info is coming on those on September the twenty sixth, which will be very soon at the time you listen to this, um, and it's been confirmed for Japan, North America, and Europe. Um, so no news yet on whether or not there's going to be a package release of these in the West. There was a package version of the Japanese version of um, the Arlen trilogy, but we didn't get that over here. It was just digital only over here. Um, I know a lot of people were asking Koei Tecmo about whether they could do a package version of the Arlen trilogy, and they've sort of said, well, no, but they hopefully they've been listening. Koei Tecmo, you're generally pretty good at listening to what people want, in my experience. Yeah, so and they've worked hopefully- with NIS in the past to publish just like yeah. pre- special pre-order-only editions of stuff, so I don't see yeah. why that couldn't happen here. Yeah, so we'll find out more about that and whether that's a thing on the 26th, so uh, keep your fingers crossed for that, I guess. Okay, continuing on. Um, so, we had a bit more footage of the Final Fantasy VII remake, uh, including some new details about some various ways to play. Uh, one of which is a classic mode, which is a lot more menu-driven and similar to the original, which is uh, an interesting addition. Um, so, what, what do you think of what you've seen of these so far? Uh, well, the big thing for me, the reason I wanted to kind of talk about this news, is um, the most important thing that I'm obsessed with in any Final Fantasy is summons. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Just my whole life, I've been obsessed with summons, uh, and so they, we finally have our first footage of the way summons are going to work in the new game, and it is essentially FF12 again. 
Yeah. Which is great. So you, you do the summons, they come on the field as AI characters that fight alongside of you, and then like they build up a meter, and then they can release their special. Now, this, yeah. is, this is really important to me from a gameplay perspective, and I've had discussions with friends about this um, in the past, but like... Final Fantasy X for me was a tremendous revelation because what it essentially... Final Fantasy... Uh, summons were introduced in 4. So 4 through 9, summons were always really cool and I loved them. But really all they felt like were spells. Yeah. like the mo- yeah. They were just the most powerful spells with the most elaborate animations and the most damage output. Mm-hmm. But 10 flipped the switch because they made a design decision to marry the game design and mechanics to the narrative aspect of summons so that you really understood that a summon wasn't just a spell, it was a companion. Yeah. And that's... So whenever these games make efforts to make summon magic a companion, uh, something that fights alongside of you, instead of something you just snap a finger and it does something and it goes away, I I just, Mm -hmm. my heart melts. So, like, I'm super (laughs) excited that this is basically repeating the system from 12, where you get an active AI friend lumbering around fighting alongside of you. And I can't wait to see what that looks like for some of the really neat summit, like, like imagine Bomb-It Zero. Yeah. Just, like, hovering above you with its, like, however many wings Bomb-It Zero had, like, (laughs) fucking ten? I don't know. But, like, I can't even, like, my mind is, like, reeling about how great this is going to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be super cool. I'm really excited about this game. The 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 classic mode that they were showing off. Um, this this is interesting. So it kind of addresses um, one of the things that um, people were worried about, which was that if they didn't get on with Final Fantasy XV's combat for for whatever reason. But we, we've talked about why. <coughs> Well, some people have, have sort of been approaching it a little bit wrong in the past, but some people don't get on with Final Fantasy XV's combat, even if they sort of give it a go, and that's that's fine. So, what classic mode is is an attempt to kind of address that, and so Final Fantasy VII Remake's basic combat is um, based on filling up the active time gauge by attacking your enemies, and so sort of you, you have the action component that is kind of similar to Final Fantasy XV but different. Um, and what classic mode does is it basically makes that part of things automatic uh, and so it's a lot more like the original where you are waiting for your time gauge to fill up and then selecting things from the menus but the difference is uh because of the sort of more dynamic nature of the combat encounters in this it'll be a lot more interesting to watch um because rather than just two rows of enemies lining up in front of each other to wait to take turns to hit each other what you'll have here is in classic mode is the fight will be ongoing and you'll have something to watch while these gauges are filling up um which just seems like a a sort of best of both worlds approach for me Mm -hmm. in there as well and if you do want to engage with the action side of things you can just turn it off and you can play it that way instead so yeah it seems like they're really making an effort to sort of cater to different different desires and different styles of play with this which is cool uh, also, this squats mini game is back. No, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It would be terrible to not have to press um, square, triangle, circle over and over again repeatedly just to get a wig. Um, 
I, I'm still interested to see how they are going to handle that scene in the current political climate. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, they've said that they whatever they made some concessions or adjustments, whatever that means. <laughs> but hopefully, the spirit of the, the goofiness of it is at least preserved. Yeah. Whatever. They yeah, because because that that scene was was silly. There was nothing malicious about it. It was just silly, and it was funny, and it was memorable because it was funny and silly, and it was a, a game that had been pretty bleak up until that point. So having a bit of fun and pr- placing into this ridiculous scenario and yeah i i really hope they kind of maintain that because that 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 was an important part of that sequence as well so we have to wait and see i guess okay uh carrying on more dragon quest news uh terry's wonderland retro has been announced for switch and releases on september the 17th in japan so this is a port of the original dragon quest monsters game for switch um and it's like it's a direct port from the look of things, as in it's like you have a small Game Boy-sized window in the middle of your screen, mm-hmm. and you are ju- you're just playing the Game Boy version um, rather than attempt to remake. Um, yeah, so y- you probably know more about this than me as the resident Dragon Quest expert. So uh, yeah, yeah, I mean it's just not a whole hell of a lot, but like Dragon Quest Monsters is a lot of fun. Like if if, mm-hmm. if you like Dragon Quest and specifically you love Akira Toriyama's monster designs. Mm-hmm. The Dragon Quest Monsters spin-off series is just a great way to have fun with yeah. with with those characters and those monsters and raise them and breed them and all and all that good stuff. So yeah, and this port looks cool because in the same vein that um, Sega's recent port of the original Fantasy Star did, like it's got some enhancements where the actual border around your mini Game Boy screen will have your yes. monster stats displayed. There'll be a map displayed, yes. so it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. That's a really nice idea that I, I, I hope we see more of. Is it's an, a really nice way of kind of keeping the authentic retro feel while also sort of providing some more modern conveniences that make it a bit easier and more comfortable to play. So, yeah, I hope you see more of that sort of thing. And it, it seems to be something that Japanese developers are quite fond of. So, uh, yeah, hopefully more of that on the way. Okay, continuing on, uh, we have a new Umehara Kawase game called Umehara Kawase Bazooka, uh, and that is coming for PS4 and Switch, um, and it is it is a competitive rubbering action multiplayer game. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, I I don't really know what that means. Well, I think it's <laughs> I think it's literally just going to be standard Umehara Kawase, which is. Uh, uh-huh. Have you ever played Umihara, any of the Umihara Kawase games, or are you at least familiar with the? the, the I'm con- familiar with them, yeah. Yeah, so like the whole concept of Umihara Kawase is you have this like rubber band fishing line, and right. it's challenging to navigate the stages using the physics of this rubber band. You've got to like understand trajectory and weight, and like use it to bounce around and stretch your, and stretch the the band out, and then use it to like rocket yourself across gaps and over jumps. So yeah. what Bazooka is doing, from what I understand, is just taking the chaos and like the challenge of just basic navigation that makes Umehara Kosei so interesting to play and making it some kind of multiplayer experience, which I've played Umehara Kosei with friends just taking turns and the amount we ha- have fun, like laughing at each yeah. other and messing up. Like this is yeah. one of those games that like it never even occurred to me could be extrapolated to a multiplayer experience, but like yeah. especially playing this locally would yeah. be I can't even express how much fun this is gonna be. Like Yeah. I can see that working really well, actually. Um 
yeah, looking at sort of the, the the very vague, very small, very fuzzy screenshots we have at the minute, yeah, it, it looks like it's going to be sort of something along the lines of maybe a racing to get somewhere or navigate an environment or something like that. But um, yeah, I just love that the <laughs> it's the, the the sort of flyer for it at the moment is all in Japanese, apart from the word esports with <laughs> an exclamation mark and a question mark after it. <laughs> yeah, but it also appears most importantly to us is that the addition of making it multiplayer means they just made a ton of new cute girls. Yes. Oh my <laughs> so, god, look at them. So, most importantly, look at the one on the bottom right. That's, I knew that's, you were going to bring her up. I knew... <laughs> The moment I saw her, I knew <laughs> you were going to be like, oh, yeah, she's my main right now. Yeah. Um, oh, but also, that appears to be that redhead with the blue. I think that's the girl from Cotton. I was going to say that, that those ones that are sort of... Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put up a screenshot of this in the video version, but... Um, yeah, the, the arrangement of characters that are sort of standing down there above the screenshots, they look like they're from various other things and some various older things as well. Yeah. Like the... The, the sort of witch girl on the right hand side looks very familiar I know well. and I can't pinpoint what she's from yeah but yeah that definitely looks like cotton on the left um so well interesting times ahead yeah uh, <laughs> Nick Alice has been publishing you know a lot of successes stuff like they have this beautiful yeah. relationship um I still haven't gotten the most recent Umihara Kawase um was it fresh I think it was called but um mm -hmm. It's it's on my radar stuff to pick up in the very near future, um, and this appears to be based on the same engine. Yeah. So yeah, just just yeah. cool. It, it's so funny how like Umikara Kawase has gone in recent years from just being this like unspoken of legend on the Super Nintendo and like dark circles of the world in input in the import community to something that's become readily available and accessible to us now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's super cool quite how often that sort of thing is happening now. It's like with, with sort of the rise of the limited run publishers and that sort of thing. That's that's really sort of allowed that side of things to take off and sort of resurrect a lot of these old games for, for newer audiences or, or people who were around at the original time and just missed them for whatever reason. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's super cool. All right, uh, moving on. Um, Yakuza 7 will have summons. <laughs> which i love have you seen it yeah it's have you seen the footage it's so good he summons like a horde of lobsters who go and pull someone's eyes out it's amazing well it's just like um, playing off of what we talked about right so if the entire caveat of yakuza the new yakuza is that the character loves rpgs so the mechanics are based around the idea of him loving rpgs of course they're summons but they're yeah. practical and grounded in the world yeah, because it's like people yeah. and animals. Like it's you know, it, it's so goofy and wonderful. And doesn't he like get out his cell phone to do it? Like he he yeah, calls he, them. He, he, he calls this horde of lobsters on his cell phone, and like lightning comes out of his phone, and then they all fall from the sky. And it's oh, I I, I was just oh, I I was feeling so much joy when i watched that footage it was just like ah oh, this is ridiculous and i love it <laughs> yeah yeah it's super exciting yeah um we've also had um a few more details about some of the other playable characters we'll get in there as well so um we've got a, a hero type character who wields a bat who will almost certainly uh sort of do various ridiculous rpg style moves uh we've got a tank character uh we've got uh someone who uses umbrellas staffs and can blow fire and command crows to attack um yep and uh and we have the uh the the buffer and debuffer who attacks with her handbag and uses her cabaret job 
whatever that means. <laughs> um, the, I love this. Yeah. I love everything about this. This is going to be so much fun. I love it. I love it. And it's, uh, they've sort of talked a little bit about some of the mini games that are going to be in there as well. So uh, Yakuza has always had um, sort of a, a variety of things that you can go and do. Part of the reason the Yakuza series is so widely loved is because... Um, it's got this very convincing feel of a, a world you can go and explore and um, sort of in, enjoy the th- things in contemporary Japan and Japan of the 80s and so on. Um, and a lot of those are very, again, sort of very grounded in reality, but often with a slightly ridiculous twist as well. So, for example, in this one, we've got Dragon Kart, which is kart racing, but it has like weapons and stuff as well. So like you can get rocket launchers and Gatling guns um there's so it's almost like those live kart racing things that use the ir tech to emulate the mario kart experience but then it's like inception so they've taken a real life experience that's been designed to poke fun and emulate a video game and then they've translated it back into a video game. (laughs) amazing stuff and then alongside that um like you you can take uh the main character to um the theater to go and watch a movie but he always falls asleep in the movie so you have to play a rhythm game to keep him awake and uh there's, there's, this is relevant to my life yeah definitely uh and there's patchy slot games and so uh sort of based on all sorts of different things and uh, i imagine there will be some in there that's sort of based on various properties and so on i'd be very surprised oh yeah these are these are based on actual patchy slot machines from the sound of things so yeah, oh, think cool. we have million god another code hades patchy slot soto no ken ponyo patchy slot mojo i don't know um anything about patchy slot but apparently these are actual things no, you're not a Pachinko yeah. expert. Um, yeah, Silicon Era points out that these are likely the only patchy slot simulators available on the PlayStation 4 at the moment. So there you, so there you go. It's true. And it'll definitely be the only ones available in the West. Almost certainly, certainly yes. when this gets localized. Yeah, definitely. When this gets localized. Yeah, um, it's going to happen, isn't it? Obviously. Uh, Yakuza. We don't have My to. My favorite series to continuously buy and never actually play. <laughs> yeah, I bet you'll play this one. I bet you'll play this one. Just oh yeah, I'll make it. A, I'll make it a point. Also, because like one of the things I don't, I know, like I got into Yakuza late game. Like I didn't start buying them until Kiwami on the PS4. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, this is cool because it's a clean break from like the Yakuza and like the saga of Kiryu was like oppressive to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can understand. Like, that. like oh my god, this is so much. But like, this is a new guy in a in the same world, so it feels like a fresh opportunity for me to step in. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Okay, so moving on next, um, we have um, hmm. <laughs> we have a uh, a KFC branded dating simulator called I Love You, Carlos Colonel Sanders, um, which uh, I, oh, I don't know. <laughs> this is for you. This is for you, Visual Novel Man. <laughs> is it? Is it though? I no, I don't know. The news, the, the, the news story is for you. I don't. I don't know if dating Colonel Sanders is for you. But I was like, hey, Here I, we go. I've, I've played a Tommy games. I would totally go to bed with the rabbi from Sweet Fuse. Um, but that's look at look at how sexy like sexy Colonel Sanders is with his like his like taut like V upper body and, and his yeah. like hipster glasses. Yeah. So I, I I mean I'm I'm not sure how I feel specifically about this game, but this this does prompt an interesting discussion that has kind of been going around a bit recently, which is the the fact that sort of ironic comedy VNs tend to get a lot more attention than. 
I kind of don't want to use the the term actual VNs, but you know, one, 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 ones with more serious subject matter, if you, if you get what I mean. So, like, and this this is a fairly widespread sentiment, and sort of sort of people have been kind of resistant to this kind of thing since Doki Doki Literature Club came out. Now, okay. Doki Doki Literature Club is interesting because um, it's it's a really interesting and good subversion of the visual novel format. Uh-huh. Um, do you know anything about Doki Doki Literature Club? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've read, I've read pretty extensively, but I've never played it. But, okay. I, but I'm aware of like the the twists and and the All mechanical right. and narrative. Like, yeah. Okay. Subversions. So, so, so I, I I won't share too many specific data because again, that's one of those games that it really benefits you to go in blind. And there may well be some people listening to this who haven't done that yet. And so, I I encourage you to play Doki Doki Literature Club because it is clearly done by someone who understands the medium but he's then decided to subvert it completely and that is why that game was so interesting why it was so successful why it became so popular in the first place Uh, it had a very similar sort of um trajectory to undertale for example so like when when undertale first came out it was exactly the same sort of situation it was like this game just quietly came out from an independent developer um and it turned out to be really interesting. It, tra- it turned out to sort of subvert expectations. It deconstructed a genre. And it did it really well. It did it really well without sort of being overly mocking in tone. It did it without sort of being all self-referential and ironic about it and that sort of thing. And it was very good. And, and it, so, yeah, Doki Doki Literature Club is, is well worth your time. Even if you don't plan on playing it yourself, I would recommend watching someone else play it through because that and in fact even if you've already played it i would recommend watching someone else play it through because seeing someone else react to it is very powerful um i i've i've only watched one playthrough of it besides playing myself but i watched um pro jared play it through a while back we're allowed to mention him now because the older shitstorm over him has uh, gone away um so yeah, I, I watched uh, Pro Jared's playthrough of it a while back, and it was absolutely heartrending watching him respond to some of the stuff in that game. Because again, without spoilers, that game deals with some seriously heavy subject matter with regard to mental health and that sort of mm. thing. And seeing someone who has been very open about his own struggles with mental health and the things that he's had to deal with inside, seeing him confronted with some some difficult situation not in a disrespectful way or anything like that but seeing him coming face to face with things that he might have dealt with firsthand was 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 very very effective and so that's why i don't always jump on board with like the immediate hatred for sort of ironic comedy visual novels and so on um this one i really don't know how to feel about because i haven't played it um and so it's entirely possible that they've done a good job of taking the formula and it just happens to have colonel sanders in it it wouldn't be beyond the realm of possibility because sweet fuse that i mentioned earlier on that is a game where the setup of it is that you are kg inafune's niece <laughs> yeah that, yep, i remember sweet fuse yeah sweet fuse was great um because like the the silly aspect the way it was connected to a real world person didn't sort of override the whole thing it didn't make too much of a big deal of it it was just there and it was just sort of a cool interesting thing about that game um this game looks like it incorporates a bunch of different characters besides colonel sanders it's not just yeah these character designs are really cute yeah it's not just you sort of facing 
Colonel Sanders and sort of saying different things. And there are lots of different characters, lots of different designs. Um, I like the girl with the purple hair. As do I. (laughs) Uh, There's also a dude named Van Van who is designed as a tribute to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, like Iraqi style, like like buff, beautiful men, which is awesome because JoJo's so so like huge right now. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna immediately pan this for being an ironic visual novel. I mean, it may end up being terrible. I mean, it it is it is designed to be a bit of a bit of marketing at the end of the day um but i'm i'm willing to give it a chance especially because it's free um so i'm 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 kind of interested to see how they how they handle it hey whenever um, whenever i always take the stuff with a slight grain of salt lest we forget that the mcdonald's game on the genesis was developed by treasure yes and is a competent <laughs> and enjoyable platformer yep. so like always second guess yourself <laughs> yeah 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 definitely so and i mean they've they've obviously put some effort into it i mean we've we've we said that the character designs are are cool there's there's some nice art there hopefully the writing will be decent um i can't really tell that from the screenshots but ho- hopefully the writing will be decent there are um it claims to have multiple hours of playthrough it's got different endings. It's got secrets. It has cooking battles and battle battles, apparently. Um, the opportunity to earn a degree from a fictional culinary school. And, uh, yeah, so uh, there could be something potentially interesting here. And this 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 is part of another sort of broader thing that we can talk about, which is um, certain companies really kind of embracing things in the modern world without sort of without sort of just taking the approach that like oh if you post a meme on twitter every day then everyone will love you so if you look at sort of the way that like the arby's twitter account works oh i um, love the arby's twitter account yeah so like the arby's twitter account is sort of posting artful arrangements of food that is themed after anime and video games and that sort of thing and they're they're always sort of really impressive creations that are photographed really nicely um they're not making a huge deal of it, but they know that that's the sort of cool thing that people will share. It's not like just posting a meme or something like that. It's it's not cynical. They put genuine yeah, work into it. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're putting some effort into it. And, I mean, people feel different things about the way Wendy's has been over time. But, again, they're sort of creating a particular personality there, putting some effort into maintaining that personality and making it consistent. And that's again sort of having a good effect sort of embracing the way that people interact with each other online and so rather than reading tweets that read like statements from a pr company you got you getting tweets that read like they're from a person and that in turn has spawned things like the sort of sundari wendy's fan art thing which <laughs> i love, I love. wendy i love sundari wendy it's so good <laughs> it's and there's so much fan art of her it's brilliant um so so yeah, like, like I say, I, I I know it's it's sort of easy to hate on on stuff like this this Colonel Sanders visual novel, but I'm going to give it a chance. I'm going to give it a chance when it comes out on the 24th. Uh, so that's a couple of days away at the time of recording. Um, I'll give it a go. If it's crap, well, I haven't really lost anything because it's free. Um, if it turns out to be interesting, then that's something cool to talk about. So we'll see. There we go. That was probably more positive than you expected, wasn't it? Okay, let's yeah, talk no, about. No, I, I was. Yeah. I was. I wanted to talk about how cool it looked and how, <laughs> and how like sexy Otome Colonel Sanders is. 
oh dear yeah they 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 have they have nailed that side of things definitely so um yeah let's let's hope sort of the writing is up to the same standard okay let's move on a bit let's talk about the snack world so yeah tell me me things about this i don't know uh it's just it's uh classic level five in the same vein of uh, yokai watch right like snack world's been out for like two or three years in japan at this point um across the ds across the switch so um i know we mentioned a couple podcasts back maybe three or four back that there were rumblings at the Mm -hmm. esrb rating side that uh, there was talk of Basically, the the Switch version, um, Trey Harrier's Gold, which is an enhan- enhanced port of the DS one full of all the DLC and extra content, yep. may be coming west. Now the ESRB has officially raided it, so now we know for a fact we're getting it. Yeah. Um, so can I, snack. Yeah. Can, can I can I just read this this ESRB rating because it's oh it's, please do oh it's it's fantastic. So uh, the game contains some suggestive material. A handful of female creatures depicted topless, though with no discernible details, i.e. no nipples. A character with hearts over his head telling a creature to whip him some more. Dialogue containing frequent double entendre about tentacles. For example, I'm sure the Kraken will be deeper inside, much deeper inside. I just want a really massive one, you know how to satisfy me. It's it's almost too much to take in. (laughs) What exactly did you think we wanted that tentacle for? The word ass appears in the game. (laughs) <laughs> uh thank you esrv <laughs> yeah uh, so i mean what we're looking at here is just a really cute hack and slash rpg with just classic level five uh, people make fun of level five because their entire design philosophy is just geared toward marketability like yeah. it's 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 carefully calculated their use of color and form and expression is carefully calculated um, but like, I just like, yeah, exactly. They know what they're doing. They make yeah. endearing worlds full of beautiful characters and, and likable creatures. And just this, this simple piece of splash art alone in the article we're looking at makes me so happy. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I want to play this. So yeah. I, I love level five and I, and I can't wait to get a hold of this. Yeah. Yeah. This looks adorable. I, I know you've been, you've been enthusiastic about this for a while and mm-hmm. I keep, I keep forgetting what it is until I see a picture of it. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that, that's super cute. Um, so yeah, it's, it's cool to hear that it's, uh, sort of on the way from the sound of things, but, yeah. um, yeah, no, no word on when yet, but an ESRB rating is a positive start. Certainly. Okay, continuing on, uh, Susume Mamate Night, or the uh, new version of Protect Me Night, uh, or God of Protectors, um, was confirmed for an October release by Ancient Games, and it will have four-player multiplayer and over 100 stages. So, um, if you've never played God of Protectors or Protect Me Night, these are wonderful games. Uh, So, they are... they're following the similar formula that we've talked about before, which is the the idea of modern retro, which is taking the limitations of an old platform, in this case the NES and the Famicom, and then doing things that would not have been possible to do on that original hardware. So what we've got in, in all of the games in this series is we've, we've got graphics that deliberately limit their color palette to what the NES was capable of, but then you have like a full 16 by 9 widescreen display that is absolutely heaving with enemies (laughs) um that you then hack and stash your way through in an attempt to protect a princess from getting beaten up by them basically 
Um, yeah, these are, these are lovely games. I haven't played the one on 3DS because they never released it in Europe. Um, oh, really? But, uh, no. Um, but I loved the Xbox 360 version, which um, is it's a bit of an obscurity that you can't actually get hold of anymore because it was released via the Xbox Live indie games platform that you can no longer access on the 360. So My yeah. dream is just for a triple pack, like a physically published triple pack. That'll be fantastic. That'll be absolutely fantastic. I would love that. I mean... From what I understand, the games are all very similar to one another, but it'd be cool to see how they've evolved and the sort of the additional mechanics that they've put in there along the way as well. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this because, like I said, the first one I've spent a lot of time playing both by myself, and it's also been a big hit the few times that I've played it with other people as well. And sticking it on Switch just makes it a lot easier to play it with other people as well. So, um, yeah, this will definitely be uh, this will definitely be coming out with me when I go to friends to play board games or whatever because yeah a lot of fun and also some of the best english you'll ever see as well certainly in the original i don't know if god of protectors carried on that tradition but certainly the original um protect me knight had some absolutely fantastic english in it like the the warrior character his main special ability is um like a, a sort of spinning tornado cyclone slash type thing mm. and the description for that just every level of it just added the words more an additional <laughs> time in front of it and so by the end of the game uh, his special ability was just called more 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 tornado and tornado was spelled wrong as well so and then it had about five exclamation marks after it and it was just oh. the most charming thing it just really really sort of captured the nest field with just those little things as well it, yeah. it 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 felt natural but i have a feeling it was deliberate as well i was like yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, know, they know exactly what they're doing and of course it has to be said to remind the world that these games are made by Ancient, yep. which is Yuzo Koshiro's company. Yes. Which means he's on music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really yeah. all you need to know. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And he can make that old chiptune sound really sing as well. So definitely. Yeah, very excited at that. Okay, continuing on. Uh, a couple of Smash Brothers bits. Uh, we now have Banjo and Kazooie in Smash. They are there ready to play right now. They were announced at the Nintendo Direct and then suddenly they were available. And the next new character is Terry Bogard, uh, who had an absolutely fantastic introduction video in the Nintendo it was Direct. Amazing. It was, it was so good. It was so, so good. Uh, absolutely beautifully, perfectly handled. Um, and yeah, so uh, what do you think of him as an addition to the roster? I love it. I, you know, I, I was hoping when there was rumblings of an SNK character that it would be someone a little more obscure. Yes, um, same. I know you and I joked about how cool it would be to have Athena. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, really, if you're going to have one representative of SNK, it's got to be Terry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't wait. I, I don't know. I, I do... I. I don't love Ryu and Ken, so I feel like I probably won't love playing him, but like just conceptually, it just how amazing is this world we live in that goddamn Terry Bogards and it's gonna be in Smash Brothers. Yeah. Well, I, I mean just consider the entire cast of Smash Brothers at this point. It is ridiculous. We've got we Solid Snake, we've got Banjo and Kazooie, we've got Mario, we've got Terry Bogards, we've got Richter Belmont, we've got <laughs> I now live in a world where I can beat Terry Bogart and boost Knuckle Cloud in the face. <laughs> what is going on in this life? I know. It's absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. I can beat Terry Bogart and spin kick Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> 
Yeah. I can be Pac-Man and drop a fire hydrant on Terry Bogard. <laughs> what is going on? It's yeah. the best. Yeah. It's the kind of things you joked about in the playground when you were kids. Wouldn't it be cool if... Yeah. 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 And Smash Brothers makes that real for us. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Uh, continuing on. Um, also at the Nintendo Direct, um, they revealed that we are getting a definitive edition of Xenoblade Chronicles, the original one that was on Wii. Mm-hmm. And uh, from the look of things, it looks like this is going to be like a, a reasonably substantial remake. Um, because if you look at the footage now and compare it with the original, there's a lot more detail in the character models and so on. A lot more expressive animation on uh, like the faces and stuff. One of the things that the original Xenoblade Chronicles got a bit of criticism for was that sort of the, the, the animation on character faces in particular was very inconsistent throughout the game. So there were scenes where there was speech recorded, but they didn't bother to do any lip syncing. And then there were uh, scenes where they did bother to do lip syncing as well. So there was kind of an inconsistency there as well. Um, but yeah, this this looks cool. And I'm very excited to, to revisit this because like, the first Xenoblade is one that I've been thinking about going back to and having another go at at some point. Now Same. that I sort of understand a bit more about the series in general and how it plays and how what the later ones have done and that sort of thing and being able to do that on switch in high definition is going to be so good because this was already a beautiful game on wii and -hmm. being able to play it on a big screen in high definition and on the go if i want to as well but being able to play it in high definition is just going to be breathtaking especially after the like the end of two yeah now, like to come back to one and replay that understanding too, yeah. Like, and then trying to tie them together tighter, yeah. Like, will will be really special to do, yeah, yeah. So that is super cool. Um, so not a lot of details on when or how that's going to happen, but uh, yeah, there is a trailer out there for now, and it's uh, aiming for twenty twenty at the minute. That's all we know. All right, uh, continuing, what have we got? Little Town Hero will appear on October the 16th of this year. This is Game Freak's uh, new game, mm-hmm. which they showed off uh, a bit of uh, footage of. And it's some really interesting ideas in this. Um, yeah, pun not intentional. Uh, but the, the So the, the combat system in this game is is based around ideas. So the uh, the main character, sort of all his abilities and stuff are based on things that he thinks of. Um, not entirely sure how that's going to work mechanically just yet, but that's that's a really interesting concept. And I've played a couple of games over the years that have kind of incorporated aspects of that sort of thing, of sort of using things that you think of, like um, Dark Chronicles, probably the one that springs most readily to mind. Oh, sure. Um, because that that one you'd sort of take photographs of things, and that would that would make the character sort of think of particular concepts, and that would unlock various things in the game. But this is very desperately tied into the combat, so he sort of um, he sort of thinks of these elements, and that sort of corresponds to your skills and the things you can do to your enemies and so on. So yeah, it looks really interesting. It's got a really sort of charming art style about it as well. So looking forward to seeing this, and it's also got music by Toby Fox. Um, which is cool and unexpected. Yes, yes, he's so good. Yeah, his music, his music is so good. Yeah, so this is going to be one to have a look at. I think. Yeah, um, I always just whenever Game Freak makes a non-Pokemon game, I really want to make it a point to make people aware of it mm, because yeah. they've been designing games for years. Yeah, uh, that are not just Pokemon, you know, and they have really interesting ideas. Like, right, there's a reason Pokemon's so good. 
Yes. Because Game Freak is a really talented design studio. Yes. Yes. All right. We are nearly there, I think. Just a few more things to cover. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, interesting story that broke the other day that is still sort of developing at the time of recording. Um, but um, there was a, a court ruling in France um, that suggested that uh, Valve should legally be offered... It should legally be offering the ability to resell digital goods um which is very interesting and has the potential to shake things up significantly if it um if it sort of gets upheld and that sort of thing now there's there's all sorts of um interesting and potentially worrying considerations over this that various uh developers and things have been discussing online as well but um so this is something that a lot of people have been discussing and considering the possibility of for quite a while like there was a very good video by um accursed farms a while back that that was very popular that was sort of about um game preservation and games being taken away and delisted and that sort of thing and we've we've seen a few games be delisted quite recently like things like the the capcom ducktales remastered game you now can't download anywhere we've had previous examples as well like ubisoft's excellent scott pilgrim game we've had after better climax you can't get anymore outrun uh online arcade i don't think you can get any more on xbox either um and so this is obviously upset a lot of people um because in some ways there is no option to play certain games unless you resort to piracy or hacking or that sort of thing and that's not really on um and so this this ruling here is apparently the culmination of about three years of proceedings um and so the the ruling prohibited the resale of this is uh, dodgily translated from french but the resale of dematerialized video games <laughs> which it defines as products that are not linked to a particular physical medium such as a cartridge or disc um in the subscription agreement that Valve drafted for its video game distribution platform, provisions prevent this possibility in principle. Um, but the, the 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 ruling basically, its main thrust of the argument is that you are you are purchasing the game and you're not obtaining a subscription to it. Um, and so that, that's all very sort of legalese. But but basically, if if you are purchasing it rather than subscribing to it, which is what Valve's terms and conditions currently state then you should be able to resell it. Ha! I love it. Yeah. Let's, defi- let's define this stuff. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it, need, it needs defining because at the moment, this sort of thing just isn't regulated at all. And it's it's sort of got to a point where sort of things have just been accepted as the norm for so long now that people kind of think that th- that is just the way that things happen. But no, th- there are no rules in place for this. So that means that the quote rules that are currently in place at the moment could potentially change at any time i mean there is there is nothing stopping valve sort of changing its terms and conditions to say that you when you when you buy something on steam now you've only got it for a certain number of years or you have to renew your subscription every year or something which is sort of what people are worrying that the response to this is going to be uh, but as i say the, this story is currently developing at the moment i think valve valve are obviously appealing the decision and so on and there's there's going to have to be some definitions hammered out of what this means and how it's all going to work um but yeah i just thought i just thought it was interesting that there's been like a a really significant step um uh, in this whole saga so on because it, it's something that sort of people have been talking about and complaining about for a while but nothing's really happened over it for quite a long time and this was this was something that was actually happening so yeah 
don't know what else to say on that at the minute, but uh, yeah, keep an eye on that because uh, interesting things could be afoot. Continuing on, um, so at the moment on Nintendo Switch, you can get Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII, and Final Fantasy IX as downloadable versions. Um, we recently discovered that uh, Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII are getting a package release uh, in Asia that will have an English language option, and you can get that through our old friends Play Asia. Um, so if you don't have a PS1 version, like I still have on my shelf somewhere, or if you just want a more up-to-date version of it that you can actually put on your shelf, this is something you'll probably want to look into. Um, For 20 bucks a pop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I'm really interested, because uh, the, the screenshots of this FF8 remaster, they're quite beautiful. They really cleaned it up nicely. Yeah, they've done a nice job with FF8, because ra- rather than just upscaling the original, they, they've actually sort of done some new character models and stuff in there as well, so... Yeah, it's 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 a proper sort of it's a subtle remaster rather than a sort of a complete remake. But yeah, they've they've apparently done a pretty good job on it, uh, apart from a couple of fairly glaring bugs. <laughs> um, have Have you heard about the bug where, like, if you save and reload in the wrong place, then the music goes back to the terrible midis of the original PC version? No, <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so uh, I, I would I would hope that's been patched out by the time you hear this. But uh, yeah, there was there was a pretty notorious bug where if you saved in just the wrong place and then reloaded that, then you wouldn't get the original soundtrack anymore. You would get the terrible, terrible MIDI version. Huh. Um, so all I yeah. know about FF8 is I just want it for the card game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always yeah. like I'm going to restart FF8 and I just only play the card. Game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, understandable, understandable. All right, a couple more things. Uh, Sengoku Runts is now available on Manga Gamer. This has been coming soon for ages, so it's nice to finally see it get out the door. Uh, So you can now you can go and buy that right now. Um, It is download only at the moment. Um, Runts five and six they did a package release for later on. Same for Evenical that I covered on Manga Gamer a while back. So if you do want a copy on your shelf, it might be worth waiting for this. But it is available right now if you want to play it right now. If you're not familiar with Sengoku Rants, this is the seventh game in the Rants series, um, but they do all stand by themselves, so you, you can jump in with this one if you want to. I would say it's probably worth playing 5D and 6 first, because 5D was imagined as a kind of reboot of the series. So it's worth playing those first to get a bit of a context of the characters and the setting and so on, but it's not essential that you do that. Um, this is an interesting game because um, Rants kind of reinvents itself mechanically every few installments. Um, and so, for example, 5D was what it called a roulette RPG, where it was very heavily based on random chance and events happening based on kind of an almost sort of tabletop style of, of kind of rolling the dice and spinning the wheel and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Then Rants 6 was a, um, a first-person dungeon crawler uh, with some really interesting kind of stamina management going on. And then this is a grand strategy game inspired by uh, the Sengoku era in Japanese history. So uh, what you have here is sort of um, a lot of the sort of samurai era generals and stuff, but they're cute girls um, who Rance uh, wants to stick things in. Um, Anyway... (laughs) Uh, this is this is widely regarded as one of the best games in the rant series oh, okay. um, so it's uh very very 
very much worth checking out if if you're interested in the series and you can stomach some of its stronger content so it's worth noting that rance is very strong on the sexual content there is a lot of sexual violence in it um so bear that in mind if you're interested in going in but it is also a series that it has been running pretty much as long as stuff like final fantasy and stuff as well so it's fascinating from a historical perspective it has one of the most well realized fantasy worlds i've seen in all of gaming um if you look back at my features on rants 5d and 6 i did a bit of exploring of the history of that world and the lore behind it and so on so and it's it's really fascinating to explore that kind of thing so it's it's not it's not a porn game it just happens to have a lot of sexual violence in it so just just bear that in mind um right continuing on uh, dragon quest walk has apparently been released in japan uh it came out on september the 12th this is basically the dragon quest take on the pokemon go format um and it's apparently had five million downloads since yeah. september the 12th yeah, I just thought that was worth bringing up. Like, yeah. what? Like, all right. I mean, I guess it's no surprise because Japan and Dragon Quest, but like yeah. five million downloads. Yeah, I, I mean, this this is evidence of how important Dragon Quest is because when um, when Hero was announced for Smash Brothers, there were certain quarters of the internet, mostly sort of probably people of a certain age i would have thought who who thought that oh dragon quest isn't relevant who cares about dragon quest why are we yeah. getting this character it's like no dragon quest is one of the most important games in gaming history yeah. it is important it is always relevant it is still particularly relevant in japan and this is just further proof of that so yeah so that, that's cool um i have I've played a little bit of one of Niantic's older games called um, what's it called Ingress, which is the one they did before Pokemon Go. Oh sure, um, and it's it's quite interesting, but I kind of never really latched onto any of them. I, I I sort of don't care enough about the subject matter to want to really play those in detail. Dragon Quest, I'm kind of up for. I'm kind of into the idea of having a look at a game like this if it's Dragon Quest themed. So I, mm -hmm. I, I, I might give this give this a download. I don't think we've had any word on whether we're getting a Western version of this, but again, I'd be surprised if we don't at this point. Well, if there's one thing I've did, did Niantic make this, or is it just that style I, of game? It doesn't say. I think it's just that style. But um, so if there's one thing that Dragon Quest builders has taught us is that Dragon Quest people are really good at taking a concept that already exists out there and like making it so much better yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like so i'm really interested to see what this is like yeah yeah i can't no i can't see whether or not neantic is involved with this at all but um i would doubt it i'm sure it's like internally square enix yeah it doesn't it doesn't look like it, it looks it looks like it's, it's sort of internally developed and just sort of using the same ideas it's, it's using google maps so it, lo it looks very similar it uses the same map data but yeah internally developed okay and the last thing i want to talk about uh was actually something raised this morning by uh by ken on the uh mario gamer discord which you can join if you become a patron um so he he mentioned this game that famitsu has um sort of done a feature on recently called summer sweetheart this is coming out on october the 17th and it's a um it's a dating sim um but rather than using anime style artwork it uses photographs um and so kind of following the trend of stuff like 428 shibuya scramble and the recent remake of root letter um this is a dating sim that sort of includes um sort of um schedule management and stat building gameplay as well um 
There are 10 girls in it to date, two of whom have been announced so far. Uh, one of them is played by Asami Imai, uh, who is uh, noir, and Makase Kurisu in Steins Gate, and various other beloved characters from over the years. Uh, the other one is uh, Naomi Wakabayashi, who I'm not super familiar with. Um, and her resume is sort of fairly sparse online, but she's been in stuff like Idolmaster. Uh, she did a few sort of additional voices in Twilight Princess. She's been in Puyo Puyo over the years. Uh, Anime-wise, she's been in Little Busters, Full Metal Alchemist, Boogie Pop Phantom, and a few others. Um, she's also sometimes known as Miyako Suzata when she is... Um, working on stuff that has adult content so she works under a um, pseudonym when she's working on those uh, but i don't have any of those listed here so i'm not sure what um she might be working on but yeah basically from from what i can tell of this game from the screenshots that there are so far um it looks like this is just taking the sort of standard um kind of dating sim approach where you choose what you're going to do when on each day and you like earn money and stuff and you do things and you buy stuff and you go and choose which girls to hang out with but it's all done with photographs um but it also seems like they are rather than trying to make it a a very down-to-earth um a sort of realistic side of things they are still um kind of taking a very kind of light-hearted slice of life anime style with it so while the first character the one who is um voiced by asami imai is a manga artist who is apparently often arrogant and bullish uh, but also has a surprising aspect of fears darkness and loneliness so she's playing noir then um <laughs> and um the the uh, the one voiced by naomi wakabayashi is um the description is a girl raises a cat by her mother there is not much interaction with non-family members, and she likes to play cats. <laughs> so, um, and all the screenshots of her uh, her being super cute and wearing a pair of cat ears. So, you know. Um, yeah, so that is due out on October the 17th. This is one game that I'll be very surprised if we see come west, but it, it does look very cool. Um, and it's, it's cool to see other developers exploring this kind of photographic visual novel approach because uh, uh, that works really well. It works really well in the um, the games that I've played that take that approach so far. Mm -hmm. So watch out for that. If you do speak Japanese, then you will be able to download that for, I think it's Switch. Yes, Switch. Um, and so watch out for that in October. Oh, there was one more thing, uh, just a tiny thing that I posted just before we started, which is that Atelier Riser has had some um, sort of post-launch updates confirmed. Uh, so it's going to have a photo mode, uh, puny raising minigames, and various other bits and bobs as well. So photo mode is sure to be very popular with a lot of people, and I'm <laughs> almost entirely certain that the majority of those photos will be pointed at a very specific part of the body. Um, so yeah. Uh, I'm excited about puny raising. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Love ponies. Yeah, and I think that will be the first time they've done something like that because, like, ponies have been like they—they they, they are the Atelier slimes, basically, um, and they—they've sort of been in every one. But I don't think they've done any sort of like puny raising type thing in it before. Sounds cool. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be sort of um, additional stuff come. 
beyond there as well so they're going to do things like increase the level cap uh add a higher difficulty mode and stuff like that as well so it looks like this is going to sort of develop over time which is cool in some ways but on the other hand i mean i've said it before i i would rather they just sort of release these games finished sometimes but whatever it is what it is it is Especially how we do things the now atelier series because there's going to be a second one this is the first of what is assumedly going to be a trilogy so presumably like, why not just save those improvements for the next game well i mean they will probably just bundle them all into an atelier riser plus at some point won't they so of course uh but anyway that is what's happening right i am completely spent is there anything else you want to talk about Nah, dog i'm done all right <laughs> i think i think i need to lie down <laughs> yeah how about it oh god right well that was a, that was a great discussion so lots and lots of cool stuff going on lately so um yeah really enjoyed talking about that with you uh lots of things to look forward to both in the near future and the far future so cool right let's hold that there then and as usual you can tell people where to find you online absolutely uh mr gilderpixels.com and tumblr twitter grant twittergram twitter tumblr Graham. twitter and instagram as mr gilder pixels mm-hmm. wonderful stuff and you can find all my writing on mywaygamer.net as usual um at the time of recording the currently running cover game feature is on the senran kagura series as i mentioned earlier uh, after that after the recent happenings um i'm going to be taking a look at a couple of uh shade games uh, including gun gun pixies which is where all the controversy came from and also their previous game that they released called bullet girls fantasia so those are next on the agenda so please look forward to those and uh, shade is a really interesting company to but not consider grand as well saga. Not, not grand stream saga no no I, the the department heaven stuff is is its own thing that i will have to tackle at some point but uh yeah shade and their sort of historical context is is very interesting to look at and uh, a lot of people don't seem to be aware of that side of things as well so um yeah you can also catch my stuff on youtube as well so currently running at the moment we have atari a to z series on tuesdays and thursdays and uh, when are they saturdays um and it reminds me i need to release one today um anyway uh and on wednesdays i play the warriors games uh currently warriors orochi there's just a few more weeks left of that now and then i will have finally beaten every mission in that game after 59 episodes um so i can then move on to uh doing the same with another game which will be warriors all stars i reckon because i really want to play that oh it's great Um, you're gonna love it yep and i'm also playing through uh final fantasy one on fridays at the moment uh so we are currently up to um just cleared mount gulg in that so making good progress in that so do follow that along i'm intending to play all the final fantasies back to back over the long term that will take a very long time in total but i'm enjoying myself so whatever all right just remains for me to say as always thank you very much for watching and or listening and we'll see you again next time Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games, new and old, every weekday. Every month, Moe Gamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favourite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.